Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. We are nearing the end of 2021, and the last guest of the year is our friend Riley Gates from 24-7 Sports. We will talk all things college football playoff as well as go around the National Football League, and we will also break down some Big 12 basketball when Riley joins us coming up later on in today's show. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, and we'll have our Tom Fullery Story of the Week coming up at the end of the show as well. Thanks for being with us here on the Jones Report today. As always, you can subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And make sure to leave us that five-star review in the process as well. And Today, we have so much to touch on with the college football playoff uh, national semifinals coming up, and we will know who the uh, national championship teams will be before the year is officially over. Uh, We'll have plenty on that to discuss on the show. And, of course, uh, the NFL discussion as we're nearing the playoffs there. And uh, I got to say, before we get to too much business uh, at hand at the time we're recording this I just now witnessed the Duke's Mayo bath I did not watch the Mayo Bowl between South Carolina and North Carolina but I did witness Shane Beamer getting the Mayo bath and I gotta tell you that was a sight to behold that was a beauty to see Shane Beamer get that Mayo bath they told us we were getting the Mayo bath last year but it didn't happen. And so we wait a whole calendar year, and finally the Mayo Bath shows up, and we see Shane Beamer get drowned in Mayo. And that was so soothing. I felt like a better human being because now I've seen the Mayo Bath actually exist. And, you know, it serves as a reminder that Mayo is better than anything on, than ketchup. Um, I would fully believe that, that there is nothing in this world where ketchup serves a better purpose than mayo does. And you might say, well, fries. Well, uh, use aioli sauce. That's technically mayo. So uh, mayo, you have won the day, and we got to see the mayo bath. Shane Beamer, a good sport about it. Um, It would have been funny to see Mac Brown get that mayo bath, but Shane Beamer... Certainly doesn't hold back any excitement of some sorts. That is going to be a day people remember for a long time with the South Carolina football program is is the day that their head coach got the mail bath. What a tremendous sight to behold. My gosh, that was incredible. I'm still in awe that that thing happened, that the mail bath actually existed. And, and, you know, throughout the broadcast, they were trying different things with mayo, peanut butter and jelly and, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, that's what bowl season's all about, folks. You know, we've had these bowl games get, you know, cut off left and right, whatever. But the uh, mayo bath came up big. Uh, I loved it. That was great. That was phenomenal. Uh, where we'll start today, we mentioned we have so much to talk about. But we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on John Madden at the beginning of today's show. John Madden is football through and through. You know, we throw out the term football guy. I don't think there's a more 
truer to the term football guy than John Madden. A guy that just lives, breathes football in every sense. Um, You know, growing up watching John Madden on Sundays on Fox with Pat Summerall and then Monday nights with Al Michaels and Sunday night football after that, you know, I remember all of it with Al Michaels. The soundtrack of the NFL with Al Michaels and and John Madden, um, you know, even though I'm I'm younger, I saw all of his time with Al and I caught the, you know, very end of his time with Pat Summerall. And the games each week, you know, John Madden did a great job of teaching the game to people like me and, you know, younger folks out there that you you saw him get the Telestrator pin out. He invented the Telestrator, folks. And no one had done that before, before John Madden did. And the way that he was able to simplify things and show so much energy and so much passion. He was genuinely excited about the games he called every week. And, you know, nowadays, one of the complaints I hear all the time from people that are just casual fans that are watching the games at, at home, they they feel like the announcers aren't getting excited, that they're not invested in the game like they are. And John Madden, he wasn't necessarily rooting for anybody. He didn't have a dog in the fight but he was invested in every single game he called. And every broadcaster out there, you know, you want it. your goal as a broadcaster when you're doing a game is that no matter how small it is, it means something to somebody. And for John Madden, he took that approach every single time in every game he called. And you look at the Madden video game, that was way different than any football video game prior to that as the Madden video game was so unique you know you had the ask Madden feature where Madden's coaching on the field telling you what to do and those playbooks were designed based off real NFL plays and such I mean it was done to the John Madden liking and you know whether it was through the video game or his commentary on Sundays I would argue that there has not been a bigger ambassador for the sport of football, for the National Football League in particular, than John Madden. Um, you know, some people would would get annoyed by John Madden and, and some of the comments that he would make and such. And, and you know, at times they came off, you know, silly, you know, goofy. Um, when he would say, you know, hey, you know, when Troy Eggman puts his contacts in, he can see better. Or LaDainian Tomlinson, you know, that's a lot of letters. Uh, my favorite one was that, uh, they're either going to run the ball or they're going to pass the ball here. Those type of things, you know, John Madden was perfect for the time period he was in. Because social media, if John Madden did games today, would eat him alive for some of the stuff that he said and would be ripping him all the time. You didn't have that back then when John Madden was doing games. And it let John Madden be John Madden who he is today, and to teach the game, to get it where it's at for the people that are watching nowadays, um, John Madden deserves a lot of credit for that, for the impact that he had on their lives and for uh, you know just investing in it that way, for caring that much. You know, when you look at the resume of John Madden from a Super Bowl champion head coach 
to you know the greatest color commentator in the history of football to you know a, a TV pitch man doing all those advertisements and such um you know the the football coaching is just one part of it most people know John Madden for who he was as a commentator and for that life he lived and that's a sign of success when you can point to two completely different things and say you did them incredibly well. Now, John Madden waited a long time before he got in the Hall of Fame as a coach, but he got there eventually. And you're talking about a guy that was not just a Hall of Fame coach, but the greatest broadcaster to ever do it. That's phenomenal. John Madden, everything he did, he did with excellence. And on the front of the uh, the whole mantra of him being himself and being the, the character that he is, I, I have a story for you that I want to share. Uh, this was from Joe Nugent of uh, the NBC station in Omaha, owned by Great Television. Uh, he tweeted this out. This is courtesy of the Omaha World Herald. And I live in Omaha, and so... This is funny to me to see this exactly come out the way it did. But listen to this John Madden story. Uh, John Madden on Omaha. This, I think, puts it all kind of together of who John Madden was. Sometimes I just like to break up the trip, and Omaha is kind of halfway across the country. So I stayed in Omaha one night, and we went to see the minor league baseball team play. Anyway, they have a raffle for a case of pork and beans. It's the seventh inning, and everybody's excited. They pick the winner, and the guy's sitting right behind home plate. His name is Elmer something, and he's jumping up and down. To him, it was like a trip to Hawaii or a new car or something. It was just a case of pork and beans. That was great. Um, you know, hearing that story, I'm sure a lot of you heard that in John Madden's voice. And, you know, the way he was imitated by uh, Frank Caliendo and the Madden Cruiser going from everywhere around the country in a bus like he did. There was nobody like John Madden. No one will replicate. No one will be what John Madden was. And he was perfect for the time period he, he was in. He made such a huge impact on this game and on this sport. It won't be replicated. I love John Madden. It feels like a part of my childhood died when John Madden passed. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to see the all Madden documentary yet, but I will definitely be watching that and, you know, paying my respects to a legend that was, and that meant so much, you know, <clears throat> John Madden, you're talking about a guy that people, non-football fans know, and you know, that that's when, you know, it's big when you've made it, when, the casual fans. I mean, everybody knows who John Madden is. And, uh, you know, sad to see him go. You know, a, a great life, 85 years. That all Madden documentary was the first time he'd done an interview in 10 years. Been a while since we heard from John Madden. And, you know, as much as I loved his commentary, the way he did games and such, you know, for the last decade plus of his life, after being so involved in football, football, football over the years. For him to be just at home around his family and such, 
for the last few years after being away from the football field. Um, you know, selfishly, we would have loved to have Madden, I'm sure, in the booth these last you know few years. But for him to get to spend that time with his family, to be a husband and a dad and a grandpa and such, um, I'm happy for him, for how he got to finish his life. And the last game he ever did was the great performance in Super Bowl 43 when the Steelers beat the Cardinals. Antonio Holmes had that catch in the corner of the end zone. That's a great way to go out. So John Madden, well, we certainly appreciate him. What a guy. Uh, I never had the pleasure to meet John Madden, but I felt like I knew him. And I think that's how a lot of people feel and a lot of people are grieving, that you felt like you knew John Madden, even though you didn't know John Madden. Um, that's that's just what he meant to this sport and what he meant to people, and it will never be done again. Not like that. So rest in peace, John Madden. We're certainly thinking of you on uh, that front there. Let's uh, go ahead and go around the National Football League as we do each and every week on this show. And the slate this week, we are not seeing uh, any Thursday night games. Uh, it's a traditional slate of uh, football over these uh, next uh, couple days as we're talking about just uh, all Sunday games on January 2nd and then a Monday night game. Um, and it starts with the uh, noon window. If you don't have red zone this weekend, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, you need to be in, fr- in front of a TV watching red zone this weekend. Cause it is just going to be, uh, plastered with all sorts of games. I don't even think the octo box is going to be enough. Uh, I think they're going to have to rotate around a lot of games over the next day, a few days, you know, Scott Hansen, he revealed in an interview the other day, this guy, the entire time during red zone. He doesn't stop to piss, not once. He holds it in for that seven hours just to give you commercial-free football. Pay that man some respect and watch some Red Zone this weekend, if you would. Here is the uh, slate of games this week. Let's start out with uh, looking at the Falcons-Bills game. Big win for the Bills last week against the New England Patriots. And now here they are. They stand at 9-6, and six, back to leading the division again. And the Bills, it's been a roller coaster of a season. You know, you look back at that game against the Chiefs where they dominated Kansas City on the road on a Sunday night in October 38-20, to and they looked like arguably the best team at the, in the NFL at that point. But then, look what happened a couple weeks after that. You lose the Jags. You get blown out by the Colts. You lose to New England. You lose to Tampa Bay. But in that game against Tampa Bay, they had a comeback of sorts. They made it a competitive game. And even though they lost that game, that felt like the spark that team needed with the comeback that they had and having a shot to win. Dominate the Panthers the next week. Convincing win on the road against New England here. Um, Watch out, folks. Buffalo's a good football team. And I think they're a team that is better than their record indicates at 9-6. and six. Um, That is a team that could still very well go to the Super Bowl here. Um, I expect them to have a, a big performance against Atlanta here. The Bills are going to start to put things in gear. Watch out for the Bills on a Sunday there against the Falcons. Bears and Giants. Uh, the Bears, a, a six-point favorite. And the Giants, 
sounds like they're bringing back Joe Judge, Daniel Jones. Uh, I'm not huge on uh, Joe Judge. I think it would have been best for them to move on. Daniel Jones, he's hard to figure out because um, he's never had an offensive line. He's never had great skill position players. And he's played fine. Not great. Not terrible. But okay. And so it's hard for me to say it's time to move on from Daniel Jones or anything like that when we haven't seen him really have a fair opportunity. We haven't seen him get much of a chance. So, you know, you look at this game here against Chicago. You you play a lowly Chicago team that doesn't have a whole lot of talent. Their defense uh, has been up and down this year. You know, if you want to secure that job, secure that future for sure, a win here certainly when it hurts uh, the Giants on that front. Meanwhile, for the Bears, Justin Fields, he's been out. Nick Foles has been going. It's hard to watch this Bears team right now. And Matt Nagy is uh, going to be unemployed any day now. Um, this one, man, uh, for the Bears, it, it, it's about stopping the bleeding here at this point. It, it's, I, I think if you're the Giants at 4-11 compared to the Bears at 5-10, and Man, like both these teams, it, it it doesn't feel good, to say the least here, going into this game here. Um, you know, it, it's going to be, it's not going to be fun for, for either of these teams these next few weeks of what they're about to endure as they end this season that's going nowhere. Chiefs and Bengals, really good game on a Sunday afternoon. Two of the best young quarterbacks in football between Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow played lights out last week, close to 500 yards passing. He has been terrific. Uh, one of the best young quarterbacks in the entire league. The Chiefs, their defense has been great. Uh, that was not something that we expected to see. They looked so bad the first month, month and a half of the year. And then the turnaround that they've been on, you know, everybody wants to talk about Patrick Mahomes this and Patrick Mahomes that if, you know, he turned a corner. And did he? Yeah, he did. But that doesn't tell the complete story with this Kansas City team. The complete story here is what they've done on both sides of the ball to get this thing going here. And for Cincinnati, at 9-6, and six, they've had a hell of a season. The way they've been able to turn things around from where they were just a couple of years ago with the worst record in the league. With all that being said, the biggest knock on this Bengals team is that the games that Joe Burrow has played really well and that the Bengals have won have been against bad teams, have been against lowly opponents. They have not played that great in uh, games against elite competition, and this is as good as it gets. So tough test for the Bengals here, Um, and they're in good shape in their division at this point. The Ravens, Browns, Steelers, all are not playing great right now. Uh, Not the end of the world if the Bengals lose this one, but they certainly need it if they can. Uh, The Chiefs fight for home field. Still a tight race right now. They're going to need to win this game if they're going to get home field here. Going to be a a fun one uh, as far as that goes between the uh, Chiefs and Bengals on uh, Sunday. 
Let's go ahead and I'll look at some of these other games here. Dolphins and Titans. The Dolphins, first team in NFL history to win seven games in a row and lose seven games in a row within the same season. Two has played better as of late. That roster we talked about it going into the season was one of the better rosters in the league, but they struggled to find their footing. Brian Flores is a good coach. Um, now you take on this Tennessee team who's been up and down this year. And initially, they looked like they were okay when Derrick Henry went down. But Ryan Tannehill got exposed later on. You know, you look at Tannehill's numbers this year. He has not had that great of a year. 15 touchdowns, 14 picks, 3,300 yards. And if you're Miami, you got to challenge Tannehill to throw the football here. Um, the Titans have some really good receivers, but Tannehill's got to step up a bit and get those guys the ball. Um should be an interesting game. Miami's got the momentum right now, but I think Tennessee's the better team as far as that goes. The uh, Raiders taking on the Colts. The Raiders are a six-and-a-half-point underdog in this game against Indianapolis. And this Raiders team, it has been a roller coaster of, this, of a season. But here they are at eight and seven. They're not out of playoff contention, technically. Um... It's amazing to me that the Raiders are at this point with all that they've been through this year. And we've talked for several weeks, like, okay, this is when the Raiders are going to falter. This is when they're going to fall off. And they have simply not gone away. They're still viable at this point. Now, is that team going to go far if they made the playoffs? Of course not. But they have not been chopped off just yet. Meanwhile, the Indianapolis Colts, Jonathan Taylor has been terrific running the football. Carson Wentz, as much as we've dogged on Carson Wentz, he's actually played better in the second half of the season. He's played some pretty good football. And I give Frank Wright a lot of credit because he's not forcing Carson to do too much. They are a run-first team. They're going to run the damn ball to open up the passing game. And that's been their recipe, and it's been working. That's a very good roster there in Indianapolis. Colts are the better team. Uh, they're better coached. All signs point to the Colts should win this one and uh, try to keep themselves uh, within striking distance of the Titans to try to win that division there. Jags taking on the Patriots. The Patriots hit a little lull of some sorts. Um, you know, they went from looking like the hottest team in the league to now coming off back-to-back -back losses off a bye week before that. That bye week kind of killed that momentum that they had. And Mac Jones has not played great the last two weeks. He's had a few moments here and there, but he's shown some inconsistency. If there was ever a team to try to get back on track that you want to face, it's this Jags team right now. Uh, the Patriots are going to be okay. This is a great chance for them to get back on track and uh, figure themselves out here against the Jags. I like the uh, Patriots big in uh, this game here. Bucks and Jets. Bucks have an easy stretch to finish the regular season. We talked about it a couple weeks ago uh, here on the program. You know, they beat the Panthers pretty bad. They got shut out by the Saints the week before that, had that overtime win against the Bills. But now you look ahead, Jets this week, Panthers again next week. The Bucks have a great shot still to get home field advantage in large part because the schedule plays to their advantage. The schedule's easy for Tampa Bay these next two weeks. Nice way to go out 
with the Jets and Panthers and I get ready for the playoffs. Should be a big day for Tom Brady and crew. The Eagles taking on the Washington football team. You know, the Eagles, when you saw all the money that they were still going to pay Carson Wentz this year and what he was doing such and how they handled the roster moves and what they did in the offseason, there was questions out there. Okay, it looks like the Eagles are in a bit of rebuild mode, aren't they? And Jalen Hurts has answered the call. Uh, they've played a lot better the last few weeks. And the Eagles have a shot to make the playoffs. The Washington football team had a small window for a moment, but that door's been pretty much shut and locked. Um, watch out for the Eagles here. I think the Eagles get a win. And I think that Jalen Hurts has done enough that he should be the starter next year without any competition of some sorts. He needs to be your guy. You need to ride with Jalen Hurts. He's earned that opportunity. He's had a uh, decent second season there. And uh, especially with what he's had to work with, not a great receiving core, not a great offensive line, but he's making it happen. Credit to uh, Jalen Hurts for uh, doing the job that he's done there. Also at noon central time on Sunday, the Rams taking on the Ravens. The Ravens have been a hot mess as of late. Um, you know, they are going to have some guys back off the COVID list. Lamar Jackson, at the time we're taking, taping this, is still questionable at this point in time. But um, the Rams, meanwhile, you know, they struggled there for a period of time. But they found a role for Odell Beckham. They're riding a uh, four-game winning streak with wins over the Vikings, the Seahawks, the, the, Ram, uh, the Cardinals, and uh, the Jags. I think the worst football is behind the L.A. Rams now. Um, I don't know if I can say the same for the Baltimore Ravens at this point. I cannot trust the Baltimore Ravens. Watch out for the Rams to go on the road and uh, do just fine there against this shorthanded Baltimore team. You're looking at getting Cam Akers back here pretty soon. Um, watch out. I think that Rams team that we saw in September that looked so dominant, looked like the best team in the N NFC, now that they've, you know, been through the valley of sorts, the valley of the shadow of death, I think now they can see no evil and that they can find their way to being close to the top in the NFC again. Watch out for them to get a win there on the road against uh, Baltimore. Even if Lamar doesn't play, Baltimore's shown enough fight that they can be competitive, that they can they can hang with, uh, with some of these, you know, upper echelon football teams here. Should be a good game no matter what, but I like the Rams there. Broncos and Chargers, you know, I have no idea how, but the Broncos are still in the playoff hunt. Chargers, it's been an up-and-down year, and they started out so hot. Brendan Staley looked like he was doing a good job, but it's just been a roller coaster in 2021 for this Chargers team. You know, the Chargers on paper should win this. They should be fine. They're the home team. They're a more talented team. But what Chargers team is ultimately going to show up? And the same could be said for the Broncos. You got Drew Locke starting. You know, Drew Locke, the furthest thing he is from is consistency. I don't know what to expect here. I think that this is a game that if you played it 10 different times, you could have 10 completely different games that weren't similar to each other here. I like the Chargers, but I don't feel confident in saying that based on knowing their history and how they uh, have 
lacked performing performance wise, and uh, and especially in games where you know they're playing lesser competition, they have played down to their competition this year, losing to the Texans last week. Uh, you know, they lost by 15 to the Broncos earlier this year. Uh, they lost to the Chargers at home. Uh, got by the Eagles. They lost to the Patriots. You know, they got their their ass kicked by the, uh, the Rams. Um, the Chargers, I think, are a good football team. I think they're better than what their record indicates, but you better start playing like it if you're going to do anything because that postseason is just around the corner here. Texans and 49ers. Uh, nice win last week for the Texans. They're still an awful football team. But the 49ers, this is a crew that has come back from the dead. You know, a lot of folks, myself included, had written off the 49ers. There was questions about Kyle Shanahan's job security and such. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, for the Niners... To do what they're doing. Jimmy G has stepped up a bit. Um, they've gotten healthier on both sides of the ball. George Kittle's playing really well. Um, the 49ers, this could be a team that pulls off an upset in the playoffs. I would not want to face this team right now. The 49ers are playing pretty good football. And their best football could be ahead of them at this point. Uh, I think they're going to be just fine against Houston. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals... Taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Cardinals are at 10 and 5. Cardinals are 11 and 4. And the thing that can be said about the Cowboys that you point to of their 11 and 4 record, not only that stretch where they did struggle, you know, that at one point in time, but they managed to play through it. They're a better team because of it. They put on, you know, a a five-star performance on Sunday Night Football against Washington the other night. It was terrific what Dallas did, what Dak and company were able to put together. Kevin Moore with an awesome game plan offensively. The defense stepped up. You know, Micah Parsons is a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's been terrific and all that with this uh, Dallas Cowboys team. But the one thing about this Dallas Cowboys team that you can point to that they have not taken care of business of and – Believe me, this is a team that runs the ball well, that passes it well, that forces turnovers, uh, you know, that, that gets pressure to the quarterback. They do all those little things. But the one glaring thing that they have not done well is in the big game. They are not winning against, uh, you know, the upper echelon of teams in this league. And Arizona, I know they're not playing great right now, it's still in that upper echelon here. So, can the Cowboys, is it just a product of them having an easy schedule? Or can they step up and get a big win against a really good uh, team here? Uh, that's what this comes down to, ultimately. To me, this is not about Arizona, even. This is about Dallas and what Dallas team, ultimately, is going to show up in uh, that game on Sunday afternoon. The Panthers taking on the Saints. Things are starting to look really bleak for Matt Rule. I like Matt Rule. I'm a Matt Rule fan. If you're hearing this show a while back, you know that I would have loved to seen him at Norman and such. Ultimately, that did not happen. And now he is trying to do everything he can just to save his job at this point. Look, the Panthers have a terrible roster. And that's not Matt Rule's fault. 
Um, I think that he has done a good job. He's made some mistakes here and there, but he's got to get better players. And if anyone wants to move on from Matt Rule, um, by all means, Matt Rule could find a job, even if he has to wait a year, whatever it may be. Matt, Matt, there's going to be teams lining up, whether it's another NFL job or another college job, whatever. He's going to be fine. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, that Saints team, all those quarterback issues and the COVID concerns they've had, they lose to Miami last week. They fall to seven and eight. The, the Saints are done. Sayonara on the Saints this year. And if you're a Saints fan, it's really unfortunate. Your first year without Drew Brees, likely not going to make the playoffs. This is a team that's just had the worst of luck this year. When you look at losing Jameis Winston to all the injuries they've suffered and the guys that had to go to COVID protocols and such, it's just been a mess for the uh, New Orleans Saints this year. And uh, now you take on this Carolina team and, uh, you know, you hope that you can polish up some things and, and see what goes on. But uh, it, it's disappointing because you knew it, you look at that defense, what they did just a couple weeks ago against Tampa Bay, that defense is as good as any defense in the league. But they've just had so much bad luck that it hasn't meant anything, that they're not going to go anywhere with it. So, uh, that's a shame to uh, think of when you look at that uh, Saints team on uh, that front. Meanwhile, the uh, Lions and the Seahawks. Seahawks probably the most disappointing team in the league this year. Russell Wilson, we don't know about his future there in Seattle. The Lions, we don't know about uh, you know where they're going to go next with Jared Goff and such. Uh, but you know, with with the Seahawks team now, um, you wonder what what's the blow up look like. I wonder that with the Seahawks heading into this offseason. Are they going to uh, take this roster and are they going to try to add to the offense? You Try to see if you can keep Ross and DK, Tyler Lockett and Chris Carson and those guys and build on it? Or are they going to you know, start trading them off kind of like what we see when MLB teams just kind of, you know, you know, trade everybody off and try to get, you know, picks and such and talent, you know, to, to re- start the rebuild project. I wonder how. And then if they decide to keep things intact, it's got to start with that defense. Other than Jamal Adams, that defense is just awful. Um, the Seahawks have just not been inspiring this year. They have left a lot to be desired. Sure, they've had their injury issues, but the chemistry is just not there. This does not look like a Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks team at all. Uh, the Vikings and the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, one of your MVP favorites right now. He has played great in 2021. And, you know, the Corona Bros have gone after Aaron Rodgers, and now they're going to be having to vote for him for MVP. Um, you know, he's had his moments this year. And for him to put everything aside, to have this team in this position, the Packers are the best team right now. Now, I'm not saying that with absolute certainty, that that means they're going to the Super Bowl because the NFC is loaded. You have about five teams that are all capable on any given day of making a run through this playoffs. Tampa Bay, uh, you know, the Rams, the uh, Cardinals, Cowboys, um, you know, th- th- this this group here that we're talking about of these elite teams in, in the, uh, you know, in the NFC are, are going to make it tough. They're going to make it a challenge. But this Packers team looks like that they're putting it all together. 
you have to run the football well in the postseason. It's not just good quarterback play that's good enough. And they have a great duo in Jones uh, and Dylan there to go along with Aaron Rodgers. This team's a lot of fun. Um, Vikings have plenty of issues here. I think the Packers are going to be fun on Sunday night. Browns and Steelers, both these teams still with an outside chance to make the playoffs at this point in time. Man, I love Baker Mayfield. You guys know that. I'm a huge Baker Mayfield fan, but oh boy. It was a disaster last week against the the Packers. Four interceptions. Two of them weren't his fault. But, you know, this this organization has been such a loser for a long time. And they weren't anything until Baker Mayfield showed up. And now you have that fifth-year option with Baker Mayfield that they've already granted him of sorts. Um, I'm nervous about what's next for Baker. If he's going to see that check if he's going to stay in Cleveland because this this organization's still dysfunctional. Even with the improvements that, that they've made, Kevin Stefanski has done a much better job, even this year considered, than what the previous coaches have done there. But that organization is still a mess. Where do they go from here? That remains to be seen. The Steelers, Big Ben, getting ready to retire. He's old now. Um, you can't lose this one. Uh I mean, these are games, obviously, you can't lose, you know, at week 17 in the season. But this is a game where, on paper, you are significantly better than your opponent that you face. The Browns have no excuse to be losing to the Steelers here. Um, None. And if you lose this, then now we're talking about, okay, there's got to be some changes made of some sorts. This, this is not excusable here. Everything's on the line now. There is no excuse to be losing the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, there you have it. That's our look around the National Football League this week. Coming up next, Riley Gates is set to join us. We will uh, talk about the college football playoff with Riley. Also, some uh, NFL breakdown and some Big 12 hoops action. Also, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group along with our uh, picks against the spread and our Tom Fullery story of the week. All that and more coming up next. Stay with us here on the Jones Joining us now here on the Jones Report this week from 24-7 Sports, based out of Kansas City, front of the show, Riley Gates is back at the program once again. Riley, what's going on, man? Hope you're having a good holidays uh, in your neck of the woods, man. Yeah, you too. Uh, can't really complain. There's a lot of, a lot of sports, a lot of bowl games, a lot of basketball. It's, uh, it's a pretty good time. Yeah, it is. Uh, something on every night. And uh, you've been part of the 24-7 network, we know, with your days back at Go Powercat for uh, a long time. But this new national gig you've been doing for the last year or so now, you're you're covering all this same stuff every day. This has got to be uh, this has got to be good for the the content side on your end of all what's uh, what's going on these days. So much to talk about here. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Coming coming right up on two years in March. Uh, kind of crazy how fast it's all flown by, especially with uh you know, sports being shut down for what, seven months there at the start of it, but, uh, it was kind of crazy. And then, uh, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's nice to kind of branch out a little bit and see a lot more, um, than just K-State sports. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. Riley, let's start out with the uh, college football playoff semifinals coming up on Friday, the Cotton Bowl, Cincinnati, Alabama, Orange Bowl between Georgia and Michigan. What do you make of those two matchups? Yeah. You know, I think Alabama obviously, 
it's you know the old adage never count out nick saban until until he's dead you know and that was and not not literally dead of course obviously <laughs> I, mean, I mean his team dead man that could have worded that better but uh you know everybody was saying after he lost texas a&m that, that they weren't going to the playoff and they didn't have a chance to beat georgia in the sec title and you know with a playoff spot online i think betting against him is a bad idea and obviously we saw how that one went uh they finally figured it out they're turning it on and i think bryce young finally turned that corner that we were waiting to see him turn uh, obviously wins the Heisman, so so that's very big. And uh, I think it's really cool to get Cincinnati in the playoff. We finally get a chance for a, a, a non-Power 5 team to prove that they can do it. Um, I think it's real unfortunate that that they do have to play Alabama because, I, I, you know, the chances of winning that game, I, I you know, you never know. You never want to say never, but it's going to be a very tough game for them to pull off. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that it's it's a fun matchup. It's entertaining to see, and uh, and it's something different than, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, or Ohio State, Oklahoma, like that. And then obviously the two three matchup is is far more exciting just from an entertainment standpoint because it has Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, who, you know, this you rewind 12 months ago at this exact day, we were probably sitting here talking about how crazy it was that that Michigan didn't fire Jim Harbaugh and that he was going to get another year. And and now here he is with a, a Big Ten champion, a, a team that beat Ohio State, and a legitimate chance to go to the national championship game. I mean, I, I think that that's something we could actually see play out. Um, you know, Georgia's still the a touchdown, seven and a half, whatever you want to, wherever you're looking, a, a favorite to win the game. But, man, with the running game that Michigan has and, and the way that they've been playing as of late defensively as well, I, I don't think it's impossible to say – we could see them pull that upset off. I think it's, it's the most entertaining playoff that we've had in probably two or three years, just because it is parody, so to speak. Right. And with that being said, in that Alabama Cincinnati matchup, what scenario do you think it takes for Cincinnati to have a chance in this game? What type of things have to go right for them to have a chance there in the fourth quarter? You think? Well, I mean, this is kind of a no-dust statement, but you, you can't turn the ball over. you got to make sure you maintain every single possession and make every single one worth it, you know, try to score every time. Because if you give Nick Saban's team just one you know, interception or you fumble the ball down in their territory, I mean, they're going to make you pay. But, I mean, of course, that's that's every college football game. and That's nothing anybody is learning for the first time right now. Um, and I think that, you know, you got to come out with a really good defensive scheme. I, I think that – Bryce Young, what we saw him do against Georgia was he found a lot of big plays. That They had two plays of, I think, over 50 yards each that went for scores, and you have to eliminate those if you're Cincinnati. Um, I think going on the road and beating Notre Dame was something really big for Cincinnati because I think that's a hostile environment. Um, even if it's not in Alabama in the playoff, it is still a road game against a, a very big top-name team against a big crowd, and I think that that's going to come to help them a lot. So something like a good defensive scheme and, and maintaining every single possession, making it worth it every single time, that's that's huge if you're, if you're Cincinnati because there's zero doubt in anybody's mind that just pure talent-wise, they're outmatched in the game. I mean, Alabama just simply has better players overall, but that's not to say that Desmond Ritter can't find a few plays and, and kind of make Alabama pay. If you can get Alabama backed up against the wall, you know, maybe – Cincinnati comes out, gets a quick strike, and then gets a quick stop. I mean, that, that'll that really set the tone for the whole game. But you cannot let Alabama deliver that first punch. Otherwise, it could get really ugly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at the Cincinnati team, Riley. This is not just any group of five team to get to this spot. I mean, we saw them hang with Georgia in that Sugar Bowl last year, or, or Peach Bowl, rather. Uh, you mentioned the, the Notre Dame win this year. We know Ritter can play. I mean – you know, Fickle's a good coach. They got some talent here. I mean, 
Um, I would be I would be shocked if this is if this game gets ugly. I expect Alabama to win, but uh, I mean Cincinnati's passed every test at this point leading up to this. I mean they're they're worthy of this stage. Well, and I th- you know I don't know how much the quote unquote disrespect card really comes into play, but I think it's very notable that I mean let's be real, if Cincinnati had gone four and eight last season and then did the exact same thing they did this year. I don't really think we were seeing Cincinnati in this playoff. I mean. I think this has been a two-year resume building, um, yeah. and, I, and I think that they've had to earn their way in. I think they're upset about that. I think that they know in the back of their mind that this has been a long time coming, and I think that they they know they can prove not only a lot for for non-power fives moving forward, but for for Cincinnati as a whole. And you know, going into the Big Twelve, I mean, talk about a statement win if you could pull it off going into the college football playoff as a non-power five team and taking down Alabama. I mean, that would just do wonders for the program, and so. It, it is a big one, and it, it would be a statement win, no doubt. It, it's definitely been a long time coming, and I think it's very, I think it's very telling of the program that Luke Fickle did not bounce for USC. He didn't take the Notre Dame job when it opened. He stuck with it, um, and, and now this, these fans, these players are getting rewarded for for kind of having that loyalty. And you know, I'm really excited to see if they can take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm certainly uh, intrigued to see that as well. How about uh, Georgia and Michigan? It looks like on paper the more competitive game. This matchup, it's it's not a quarterback battle by any stretch. Uh, you know, this is much about the defense and the run game here. How do you think uh, this one's going to play out between these two? Well, I, I think for as much as Georgia's defense was exposed in that game against uh, against Alabama in the SEC title, I don't think that there's a quote unquote blueprint or there's a an obvious flaw in the system. I think that that was just a case of Alabama finding one or two things and then Georgia kind of being on its own heels, kind of panicking a little bit maybe, and and really just the, the game got away from them. So I, I think that we're going to see that defense come out a lot more sharp. I think we're going to see them a lot more focused in this game. But, you know, the the in every football game you see, it's all about establishing the run, right? I mean, no mm-hmm. team's going to win a game throwing the ball 50, 60 times and running it for nothing. And that's what Michigan does best. Hassan Haskins is one of the best, if not the best running back in, in all of college football. Um, and I think if Michigan can get that ground game going, that opens up a lot of things because they're not necessarily a pass first team, I don't think, but I think they are have a lot of success throwing the ball when they get that chance. So if you're Michigan, you have to establish that run. You have to be able to find some holes in that Georgia defense because we're talking about a, a Georgia team that posted three shutouts. I think only one time this year did they give up more than – uh, 13 points and they never gave up 20 points in a game outside of the SEC title game and so I mean this is you could probably make a case this is the greatest defense in college football history I mean obviously that that would take a lot of uh, research a lot of conversation all that kind of stuff but I really do think that this is a special defense I think this is probably a game that's going to come down to the final possession or the final two possessions you know who kind of makes the mistake or who makes the big play late that really decides this one I I cannot see this one being decided by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, whereas in the other game, I could see that possibly being the case. Right. And we mentioned Cincinnati, you know, taking on the mantra of being the disrespected Michigan. I know it's, it's still Michigan, but they've kind of taken on that mantra themselves. You know, no one gave them a chance against Ohio state. Uh, nobody thought that they were going to compete in the big 10 this year. And, and uh, you know, when they lost to Michigan state, a lot of folks had written them off. Uh, this is a very gritty team there that uh, the Jim Harbaugh's got. They're, they're going to play with the chip on their shoulders, I would imagine, uh, for this one on Friday. 
No doubt. I mean, I they're the number two seed, and honestly, you could you could probably make a case that they're the most disrespected team in the playoff. I mean, Cincinnati, of course, being the non-power five team has a strong case, but I think a lot of people look at this Michigan team and and they probably think fraud or they probably think fake that can't actually do it. I know I've said on a lot of radio shows and, and podcasts and stuff, there's a lot of people that are still out there saying, when does the Harbaugh moment come? You know, like we've always come accustomed to Jim Harbaugh having that big slip up game or the one where you're like, goodness, that he just is known for that type of coach. And he just hasn't had that game this year. Not even the Michigan state. I mean, the Michigan state loss was a good, a good loss. Honestly, he, they played very good. You could argue they were the better team in that game that just gave up a play late. Um, and so I, I do think that there is a sense of disrespect a little bit. Honestly, I think that they're, be, I think they're being counted out more than Cincinnati's being counted out as, as weird as that may be to think. And maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I don't know what everybody else feels, but I think some people think Michigan kind of lucked into it after, after a few games. And, you know, maybe the Michigan state loss was a sign of the true team they are. And I don't think that at all. I think they're a really good team. And I, I don't know if I can necessarily pick them and, you know, gun to my head, probably have to lean towards Georgia, but man, I won't be shocked if they win this game and, and go play for the title. Yeah, I mean, in all reality here, Riley, uh, I think when you look at it, the the hottest team right now of those four, I would say is Michigan. You know, Cincinnati, you know, they uh, – I, I didn't think they quite played to their potential maybe in, in a couple of those games down the stretch in the American. Michigan blowing out Iowa, beating Ohio State by double digits. You know, as good as Alabama played in the SEC title a week before that, they looked awful in the Iron Bowl. Michigan might have the most momentum of any of those four right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, Cincinnati, that's – I was honestly worried Cincinnati was going to get left out because of, like you said, those games where they didn't play necessarily the best of games. They they were, you know, clo- I think it was maybe Tulsa and, you know, a couple other conference opponents Blame. there where it was like – Yeah, it was, I mean, we're talking seven, ten points, which – if that's Alabama, if that's Clemson, if it's whoever, that's hey man, it's a win and it's fine. We don't care. But when you're playing the American teams, I mean that those wins don't typically cut it. So I was a little afraid of that, um, afraid that they were going to get left out because of those games. So yeah, I could definitely see that being the case. And I think it's very telling that Michigan walked into Indianapolis and they didn't just go through the motions and beat Iowa, or it didn't take a late play to beat Iowa. I mean they they stomped them. And I know Iowa doesn't have the best offense in the world. It's it's honestly kind of tough to watch sometimes but you know it that was just a beat down I mean and to hold them score out of the end zone you know, only three points in the game that that was huge so this is it feels like Michigan's best chance to win a national championship for for at least a few years and and it'd be really cool I think to see them do it and not not just because I'm worn out on on Alabama or anything like that but I just think it's cool when those storied programs come back to the top, you know, like if Indiana were to win a basketball championship, you know, that is something like that. The the teams that used to be near the top that have kind of fallen off in in recent years. As long as it's not Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Last thing on this, then we'll move on. Uh, Sounds like you're leaning towards Alabama and Georgia. Like most people, how do you ultimately see this playoff all playing out? Who's going to win the title when it's all said and done? I I mean, if, if you made me pick, hold me feet to the fire right now. I, I got to pick Alabama. I just, I'm not a guy that bets against Nick Saban until he gives me reason to not. And I know that's the, the biggest cop-out answer in the world, but um, I think what he did in the SEC title game shows he can always exploit, no, exploit an opponent, no matter who it is. Now, if it is Alabama and Georgia in the title game, I don't think it's anything like what we saw in the SEC title game. I think a lot of that had to do with Georgia going like, 
oh, you know, we're, we're already in the playoff. We'd love to win the SEC, but we're already in. It's just, let's just get through this game and, and hopefully we win the SEC. So I, I don't know that the, the motivation is, was all that there for Georgia? Obviously it would be in the national championship game. So it'd be a lot closer if it was Alabama and Georgia. But yeah, if I was forced to make a prediction today, I'd probably go Alabama and Georgia and then Alabama wins the title. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, the NFL. Uh, where you're at, the uh, Chiefs are playing some great football as of late on both sides of the ball. Riley, I, I, watching this team, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before the offense was going to put things together and we see Patrick Mahomes improve. But nowhere did I see it coming that the Chiefs' defense was going to play like they've played. You know, the last you know seven, eight weeks. I mean, other than the Chargers game, that defense has been one of the best defenses in the league the last several weeks. Well, and that's what's funny is a lot of this national story from, from a lot of people out there is, ooh, Patrick Mahomes finally figured it out. Look at the Chiefs go. He, he's clicking with Travis Kelsey, all this stuff. And, and then here comes the Chiefs defense, you know, turning the ball or forcing Big Ben and a bunch of turnovers last weekend and, and keeping teams scoreless, shutting the Cowboys completely down on offense, one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. So, yeah, what, whereas the Patrick Mahomes resurgence is, is a massive story and one of the biggest ones in the NFL, I, I don't think you can talk enough about what this defense has been for this team. And, and that's what's really going to get them over the hump, I think, in the playoffs if they're going to make another run of the Super Bowl because – you can make all the plays in the world you want, but if you have any if you have any flashes of the defense like it was at the start of the season, they're not going to stand a chance against some of these teams when it comes down to when it comes down to playoff time. But we're finally seeing that defense get on the right side of things. I think you know I think they made adjustments needed. They ha- I think they had a lot of guys playing in wrong spots, asking them to do things they weren't capable of doing. Now they've kind of figured it out. They're getting a better pass rush. It feels like they found a more appropriate place for, for Chris Jones. I think, again, he's one of those guys they were asking to do something he wasn't necessarily capable of doing. And it's really transformed this defense. And so, yeah, I, I think that's the bigger of the two stories. And I don't think you could ask for a much better season uh, to, to be in the AFC if you're a Chiefs fan. Um, you know, there's really no no real, like, dominant team that you can't beat, like, I think they could lose to a lot of teams. Don't get me wrong in the mm-hmm. AFC, but if you're forced to pick a team to come out of the AFC today, it has to be the chiefs. Like the way that they're playing, um, you know, the Titans, they're expected to get Derrick Henry back, but it's not official yet. I, I don't like betting against Bill Belichick in the playoffs for the same reason. I don't like betting against Nick Saban. However, Mac Jones has kind of shown a few struggles recently and, and the Indianapolis Colts, I think are a fantastic team, but I don't know if I can trust Carson Wentz. So, you know, the Chiefs are definitely the team to beat in the AFC, and um, they'll, they'll probably get the one seed, which, as we all know, home field advantage is, is huge. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And, you know, what, what's wild to me looking at this AFC race, two weeks ago, if you would have asked, you know, us who is the biggest threat to the Chiefs, everyone says New England. Would have been clear as day. Some folks would have taken New England over Kansas City even. And now, here we are a couple weeks later, Patriots aren't playing great. Colts, you mentioned, are playing better, but I have my concerns about Carson, too. Titans, I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, if, if they can get Derrick Henry back, they'll help. Bills are playing better, but they've been wishy-washy. Ravens have been downhill. There, there is no clear team that stands out that says that's the team that's going to take down Kansas City. I mean, it, it's it's like they're on one pedestal and everyone else is way below them. And that wasn't even the case, you know, several weeks ago when they were competing just for the division race. 
Well, and it doesn't feel – I feel like a lot of weeks we go into a game and we get like, – like New England-Buffalo last weekend. There wasn't really one clear-cut, oh, that team's going to be the team that wins the game, right? right. We were all – Hey, you know, I don't know. I could see Buffalo doing this. I could see New England doing that. With the Chiefs, it, it now granted their their schedule has been a little bit easier as of late. I mean, picking on the AFC West a little bit, picking on Big Ben. So that's that's one thing. But we've never had a doubt in our mind. Hey, the Chiefs are going to win this game. The Chiefs are going to win this game. So I, I think that that's very notable because, like I said, there's no questions. It doesn't feel like a really big concern about the Chiefs on a weekly basis. And and I think that that's telling about their confidence this weekend's game against the Bengals, I think is going to be, is going to be really, really big because um, the Bengals have been a team that, have, you know, they win two games, they look really good and then they fall off one. And then, you know, they go through another struggle and then they turn it back on. But Joe Burrow looks like he's clicking. Uh, Joe Mixon is getting that ground game going. So can the chiefs shut down what looks like a very explosive offense? Can they, uh, can they take advantage of, of some weaknesses in that defense or are they going to go on the road and are they going to, kind of go back into a shell of themselves a little bit. I, I think that this is a very telling game for how they might perform in the playoffs, um, you know, depending who they who they draw. Obviously, that's still a whole mix in the AFC. You have no idea who they're going to end up playing. Um, but I think this is a really big game and, and can really tell a lot for for what to expect in this team. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Let's, uh, let's talk on the NFC side of things now. The Cardinals have hit a wall and are really struggling the last few weeks. We've seen the Packers are playing much better. The Cowboys, I know Washington's not that great, but you win like that against anybody on Sunday night, you send a message. You know, that was a statement win. Um, You know, the Rams have played better. Uh, The the NFC, it it, it feels like the SEC right now. I mean, there's, there's a number of teams. You could probably name four or five teams, and if you tell me in a few weeks that they win the NFC, I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think, you know, it's... Is hey Tom Brady's in Tampa Bay, and uh, man, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's playing the best ball of his life, and the Cowboys' defense is coming to life. And so, um, it, I don't know. Is I mean, yeah, I, I, obviously you can pick a team, you can you can make your prediction, but it feels like it could be anybody at all. And you know, maybe the, the as for as much as the Cardinals are sputtering right now, maybe they get DeAndre Hopkins back in the playoffs and they flip that switch again. So it, it's kind of a it's kind of up for grabs right now. And and again, again, an, an obvious statement to say out loud, but a lot of it really does depend on who, who these teams draw, um, who they're matched up with. Cause you know, I'm looking at some, some possible Cowboys matchups and it's like, Ooh, you know, the, the Cowboys could play the Eagles in the first round. If the Eagles stumble in as a wild card or, you know, the Cowboys could end up playing one of the teams out of the NFC West. Dep- mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, how is this thing going to shake out? We don't know. Um, and, and especially for a team like the Cowboys, I keep referencing them just because they're the team that comes from mine as a Cowboys fan, but the Cowboys have shown an inability to beat the big, to win the game, big game and beat the, the really good team. So, you know, how, how big is home field against their first opponent? It's really up for grabs right now, but I don't see anybody playing better football in the NFC right now than the Green Bay Packers. I would say the Buccaneers, but I'm just very concerned about all their injuries right now. I think they're going to get some guys back for the postseason. But, man, Aaron Rodgers feels like he's playing scorched earth because of everything that happened in the offseason, mm-hmm. because of all the negative attention he got with uh, with COVID and, and getting the vaccine and everything. And so um, I, it just feels like his year he might turn it on. But also we've said that about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers probably – three or four times in the last five years, and they always find a way to lose or a little bit early. So I'm very interested to see how this NFC shakes out because 
I could see a lot of teams coming out, and not a lot of them would shock me, no matter who ends up winning this thing. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, and you know he's one of the favorites for the MVP right now, along with you know Jonathan Taylor, and you know the way that Aaron's played has been phenomenal this year, and and you know kind of taking a taking on a you know give no f's type of attitude of some sorts, and and you know was was attacked by so much of. Uh, you know, the media and such that were, were going after him, how he handled COVID. And, you know, now they're going to have to, you know, vote for him for MVP and all this. You know, I, I'd, I've always been an Aaron fan, uh, Riley. I, I love what, you know, he's the, the way that he's not afraid to fight back and that, you know, he was able to put all that stuff behind, aside and have the season that he's had here. I mean, uh, what are your for Aaron Rodgers and, and what sparked once they drafted Jordan Love, I mean, these last two years have been some of the best football of his entire career. Well, I, personally, I was ne- in the previous years, I was never a big Aaron Rodgers fan. Now, granted, a lot of that's because he was always beating the Cowboys sure. in the playoffs, and I got Understandable. mad. Yeah. But I also, I also wasn't a huge fan of kind of his his mantra and kind of like, oh, I'm all about Aaron. That's kind of the vibe I got from him. But the last two years really did kind of change my perception of him because I think he's been a lot more honest. I think he's been very open about what he wants and how he feels, which doesn't always sit well with some people, but I, I really respected it. Um, I think it's very cool that he comes out and he kind of says what's on his mind. He's not afraid of, you know, I, I know it's not necessarily sitting well in the public eye right now, but quote unquote being canceled. I mean, he doesn't really care. And he says that in interviews. So you kind of, whether it's about football or whether it's about his political beliefs or, or whatever it is. I mean, he just kind of does what he wants to do and doesn't really care that it's not necessarily what professional quarterbacks do. So I kind of like that about him. And um, it's unfortunate that he plays for the Packers because I don't like the Packers, but Hey, I can respect his game. Um, and if, if he won the Super Bowl this year, I think he'd ride off into the sunset on that. I really do. I think that'd be it. And he'd call it a career. Cause I think he's very content with where he's at. Um, and it'd be a very fitting in for, for one of the most legendary quarterbacks to ever play the game. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Uh, I don't want to see him retire. I'd love to see him continue on. I don't think he's going to be back in Green Bay next year, no matter what, but uh, yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, let's, let's talk. Uh, we got a little bit of time left. I want to talk uh, some Big 12 hoops. I know you're still following the Big 12 Conference real closely here. And uh, I mean, first off, you know, not only has the Big 12 been affected, but just all college basketball, these COVID cancellations. Uh, have been such a mess. And last year, you know, the Big 12 built in a couple weeks to try to make up games. I believe they don't have that built-in time this year like they did last year. They could be uh, This could be a mess of trying to have uh, the true Big 12 champion. Uh, there might be some controversy when it's all said and done. Might be some controversy. Might be some games that make no sense if they try to, you know, for example, and I don't know if they're going to do this, but try to cram three games into a week or possibly even four games into a week, something like that, just to play the full 18 game schedule. You know, yeah. I don't know exactly how they're going to plan for all this. It's very interesting. I do think, I mean, this is just a guess and nothing scientific or anything. I could, I could see this slowing down a lot as you know, all the kids start to come back to campus. They, they kind of get back into that normal routine of going to class of going to practice. I mean, we've had a lot of kids going for Christmas obviously getting on airplanes or, or spending time with their family, whatever, probably picking up COVID, shaking it real quick and then, and then moving on. So, but it has been unfortunate, you know, Casey hasn't played and man, I, I can't remember the last day that Casey played. It's been at least two weeks. Um, you know, KU played tonight for the first time in a few weeks, I think. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, 
to see all these cancellations, it feels a lot like the beginning of last year mm-hmm. uh, in, in the way that it started. But I, I do think that this is the right way to move forward. I, I think that they're going to do the best that they can. And um, I think now that the CDC, you know, with their, their rule of the five day of isolation type thing after a positive test, I think that's going to help a lot of college basketball get played because, you know, now Duke's game did end up getting canceled still, but Duke had canceled two initially and there, there was a chance they could have played on Saturday. Um, obviously, the, the issues are going to hold them back from that. But it just opens up the door to, hey, maybe instead of three games postponed or canceled, instead we just have one um, because we only have one game this week. So I think it's interesting. And um, I, just, I just hope there isn't a week where, like, you know, hey, KU played Baylor on a Monday and they played Texas Tech on Wednesday, and then they got an easy game with, with K-State on Saturday. But, hey, K-State came and upset. KU because KU was just worn out. Now I'm just using that as an example. Right. Um, but, you know, there are some teams that deserve to be at the top of this conference, and you would just hate to see a schedule like that really put an impact on, on the race like that. Right. I mean, uh, the Big Ten last year, uh, you could argue that it was decided based on who got games in or not. You know, it was a close race last year between Illinois and Michigan, and Illinois was on, you know, the, the outside. You know, they, they you know ended up on the wrong side of that. And, uh, you know, cost them a conference championship potentially. You don't hope that doesn't happen here in the case of the Big 12. You know, we we talk every year, Riley, in this league about the depth of this league. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong here. I can't remember a year in in recent memory where we've talked about this league being so top-heavy like it is. It's been a minute, it seems, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could say say it was top-heavy in 1819 that year that that, – K-State and Texas Tech shared the championship, but even you could say that year that KU wasn't very good. I mean, I think they lost like six games that year, so it it really does feel very interesting. I think some teams will come back to planet Earth a little bit. You know, TCU's 10-1, West Virginia's 11-1. I think when the schedule beefs up a little bit, they'll kind of come down, but... No one thought Iowa State was going to be this good. Definitely not. That's... Yeah, that that's the biggest one right now, I think. I think you have KU, and I think you have Baylor definitely at the top. I think... Whereas you'll see some teams regress, I think you'll see Texas, for example, tick back up. I think they're still mm-hmm. kind of suffering from new coach, a lot of transfers. So I, I expect big things out of Texas. Um, and even Texas Tech is starting to figure things out under Mark Adams right now. So, you know, my pick is still Kansas. I think Kansas is hands down the most talented team in this league. I, there's zero reason in my mind that they shouldn't win the Big 12. Um, but I don't think it'll be easy. I, I think it'll be very tough and you know, there's a reason the Big 12 champion it usually loses, you know, two, three, four games because it's not easy to win in this conference at all. No, not at all. And uh, what I like, uh, you know, as far as this year goes, Riley, is, you know, the these first-year head coaches in the league, um, whether it's, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, Chris Beard at Texas. Obviously, he was in the league already at Texas Tech, but – you know, Porter Moser at OU, um, you know, TJ there at Iowa State, Mark Adams at Texas Tech. I mean, they're coming out of the gate strong. I've been very impressed to see these guys, what they've done, the immediate impacts, which we usually don't see. Usually we talk about it being a year or two before they find their own footing, but transfer portal, these guys are using it to their advantage here. Yeah, and it's crazy. Uh, I went to Big 12 Media Day in Kansas City back in October, and you know, I go to K-State's table, you see two familiar names. Go to KU's table, you see two familiar names. Then it was like, I went to Oklahoma State's table. I went to Oklahoma's table. 
uh, Texas is. And it's like, I've never, uh, you know, I've heard of these kids, but I totally forgot that they transferred there because it happened way back in, yeah. in April. And then you kind of hit you. You're like, holy cow, like this is a lot of new names, a lot of new teams. So it's very different to see a lot of these names. Whereas in the Big 12, you get used to the same kids on a yearly basis. So definitely some adjusting. I think it's going to really kind of hit some people like a brick wall once Big 12 play starts and you start because, you know, I I doubt a lot of K-State fans are are watching KU games right now. And I doubt a lot of Iowa State fans care what Baylor's doing right now. But once you start this interconference clashing, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to to kind of learn this league and, and kind of figure out, oh, hey, who's in it now? Who's the better players? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're absolutely right about that. Right. It should be uh, a lot of fun to see how uh, ultimately this plays out. You mentioned you like Kansas on top and you know, Baylor and Texas are in that bunch there. When it comes March, how many teams do you think this league can send in the tournament? Are we talking six, seven, maybe eight? What's the magic number, you think? Well, Oklahoma State's obviously out. Um, right. Obviously with the, the postseason ban. I don't think Kansas State's going to make it. I think K-State's a very improved team. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they're – I think – whereas K-State improved, the rest of the league also improved. And I right. don't know if K-State improved enough to get over there. So I, I don't think they'll make it either. And I, I have a lot of trouble seeing TCU unless they do kind of keep it up in the way that they've been playing. So I think right now I would put the number at seven in between six and seven teams, which I think would be very good. Um, and if TCU can, like I said, play, can play at that consistent level, we could see eight, um, which is, you know, we've always seen this, this league around that number in the seven to eight sometimes nine area. And I think that that's, it continues to show just how good this conference is where the sixth place team might end up being 12 and six or 11 and seven, but they're a lot better than maybe the fourth place team in the PAC 12 or, or the the fifth place team in the ACC this year. And there are definitely a lot of teams in the ACC this year. So uh, it's a very good conference and it's kind of funny. I, I think KU's, I think KU's a national championship contender, honestly. And so I won't be shocked if they go 16 and two and win the big 12, and I won't be shocked if they go 14 and four and win the Big 12. I mean, I, who knows what to expect this year? It's a really, really good league. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so much talent. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a lot of these teams really use the portal to their advantage. Who are some of the guys that you like best? Uh, who stands out to you of the, the guys that are looking good, night in, night out in this conference? I'm really excited to see what Jordan Goldwire does for Oklahoma um, in terms of portal players. I, I just think that coming from Duke and then being at a program like Oklahoma, it's, it's obviously such a, a big step down in terms of prestige of program, a uh, right. basketball program, but he gets the opportunity to lead whereas where he wouldn't have had that at Duke. So I'm excited to see that Texas is full of talent, you know, Timmy Allen, uh, Trey Mitchell are two biggest guys. I'm a little shocked that Marcus Carr hasn't quite played up to, to the standards of which I thought he would be at, you know, he was uh, an all big 10 player at Minnesota. And I thought he would really kind of take over and he still might, you, you just don't know yet. Um, and obviously the biggest one that, that everybody in the big 12 had their eyes on was uh, Remy Martin at Kansas, who, you know, voted big 12 player of the year without even stepping foot in the conference yet. And obviously he's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start. I think, you know, just from following some KU fans, talking to KU fans, I know is that maybe he hasn't necessarily fit into his role all that well just yet, but he, kind of once he clicks, you know, I, I remember seeing him in Vegas a few years ago, went out there for a tournament to cover K-State and the, and the kid can just score at ease. I mean, whenever he wants to, he puts the ball in the hoop. And so I think once he gets it figured out, he could meet that, that big 12 player of the year expectation, but. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, along those same lines, Kansas fans, if you're looking for, you know, an example of some sorts, remember Malik Newman was yep. slow. It was not a good start for him. And then by 
the time it was all said and done, he looked like one of the best players in the country. And we knew he had the talent, but Bill's system's not easy to learn. Mm -hmm. It's, it's definitely not. And I think that, uh, you're, you're seeing what the benefit of timing it is right now with a guy like Christian Brown, who we, we knew out of talent or out of high school, he had talent. Yeah. We know Ochai Abaji, We all knew he had talent, but they just, they, they would struggle to get over the hump. It felt like, well, now we're seeing what they're doing with that experience. So whereas, whereas Remy Martin won't have like a full two years or anything to really get it going. I think, I think this Christmas break stretch will probably really help him. And once he gets into big 12 play, I think we'll see him explode. Riley, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us, man. Tell the folks out there where they can find you and see all the great work you're doing with the 24-7 sports. Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter at Riley underscore Gates, R-I-L-E-Y underscore Gates. And, um, you know, just go over 247sports.com, follow 24-7 sports on Twitter. I mean, we're always putting out stuff and uh, a lot of fun. It's football is slowing down, but basketball is heating up. We're excited about it. That's great. Riley, thanks for joining us, man. We'll talk in down the line. Have a, a good rest of your holiday season, man. Yeah, same to you. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can reach out to Bo by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, O'Connor at lpl.com. O'Connor Advisory Group also on Facebook. And he is also the host of the Coach Bonos podcast. New episodes out each and every Monday and Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And he joins us right now. Bo, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Hope you had a good Christmas. What's going on in your world besides uh, getting beat by me and pick him uh, week after week? I don't know why you got to go there. I'm mean, actually <laughs> some bullshit to start us out. <laughs> I know mean, uh, things are going all right, man. We uh, we're doing all right. We just. Uh, yeah, you know, Christmas time is finished up. We're getting ready for New Year's, and uh, it's been this has been a pretty decent week. This is one of those weeks we don't do a lot of um, we don't see a lot of clients this week, so it's just a matter of right now's last few things, kind of getting ready for next year and taking care of some stuff and moved a couple pieces of furniture in here this week and just a couple of things we're just doing, kind of cleaning up, and getting ready for January one. So nice, nice, and uh, you had a good Christmas too. Yeah, we did real low key. We did the low key Christmas thing. We had we were at home. We did in law thing on the night before, but then you know at home. And then uh, brother and his family came over that day, and we we kept it just uh, kept it kind of gangster, just a few of us, and then the kids and the kids got to all open presents and have a good time. And that's what it's all about. Christmas is all about the kids and enjoying that. So that's great. We really had a great time. Glad you had a great Christmas, uh, Bo. The uh, slate this week. So here's a little thing that happened, folks. Um, last week, we, we put our pick'em slate together, as we always do, five college games, five NFL games, and we try to get 10 games on the slate. There's some weeks we have to put more NFL games or some weeks we have to put more college games to make it happen. Um, but last week, it was going to be five and five. And then at the last minute, the Holiday Bowl got canceled between UCLA and NC State. So we only had nine games. So with that... We're going to pick 11 this week to make up for the game we lost last week. But that's okay because that allows us to pick all of the New Year's Six Bowls now. Let's um, pick all the games. Let's pick all the college games, all the NFL games. I need everything I can get to get back and get back at you here. You need everything right now, Bo. You're 83, 84, and 2 on the year, below 500. 
Uh, you went two and seven last week against it, last week in picks. Meanwhile, yours truly, I went seven and two, and I'm 93, 74, and two overall in first place. So, uh, Bo, last week it was, if you were listening to the show, folks, we were saying, okay, one of us is going to be really right and the other is going to be really wrong. And I have to be the one that was right. So, yeah, the last two, three weeks, I have been off. I mean, you know, fade me, fade my picks, folks. Fade me, y'all. You make some money. You want some extra, you want some into the year, some the new year spread. Go ahead and just take all my picks, bet against them, and you'll do just fine. So, let's go ahead and start with the uh, college bowl games. Let's start with the college football playoff semifinals bowl. Uh, number four, Cincinnati taking on number one, Alabama. They tied a 13 and a half point favorite. How are we feeling, Bo? Um, I like I like Bama to win the game. Uh, I, I think this is closer than 13 and a half. I, Cincinnati is not Cincinnati's a good team. They're not good enough to win the game. Don't get me wrong. But I I think this is close, uh, closer than 13. I think it's 10, 11, somewhere in there. So I'll take Cincinnati plus the points. I want to take Cincinnati bowl. I really do. And I hope it's a competitive game, but I can't bet against Nick Saban because when I did bet against him in the SEC title game, it bit me in the ass, me and everyone else. Um, the one time I went against him. So I'm back on the bandwagon. I got to go with Alabama here. Um, I think that, that since he can hang around for three quarters, but I think ultimately when it's all said and done, Alabama puts their foot down in the uh, second half and, ends up winning this game. Uh, I, I think they win by a couple touchdowns here and cover that 13.5-point margin. The Orange Bowl, number three, Georgia, taking on number two, Michigan. The Dogs, a 7.5-point favorite in this game. Bowl, what do we think about this matchup here uh, in the Orange Bowl? I I like the Dogs. I like Georgia here. Um, I think that Georgia's going to just outscore them. I, I don't think Michigan can run the ball as well as they have. They're not going to run that well against Georgia. Um, I think they'll. I mean, I think this will be a moderate scoring game for, for Michigan. They're not going to go out there and throw thirty on the board. Um, I like Georgia here, and uh, I'll take Georgia. That seven. It's seven and a half, isn't it? It is seven and a half. Yes. Yeah. See that hook. It's always the one that gets you. All right. I'll be daring and lay the seven and a half. Man, uh, there's another one, too. I don't want to make this pick, but I feel like I have to make the safe call and go with the favorite in Georgia at seven and a half. I hope Michigan makes this a game, and I think these two teams, Bo, are actually pretty similar. You have teams that love to run the football and play defense. Yeah. Um, should be fun, should be exciting, but I think ultimately Georgia is going to outmatch uh, Michigan. They're the more talented team. I have them winning and covering at seven and a half. The Fiesta Bowl, number nine, Oklahoma State taking on number five, Notre Dame. Notre Dame favored by two. Bo, what do we think about this matchup here? Wrong team favorite. Okay. I, man, I, I, don't, I don't have a good feel for this game at all. Um, I want to just take Oklahoma State because I just hate Notre Dame. But um, I, I'm going to take Oklahoma State. It's who I picked in our bowl pick them, and I'm going to go ahead and stay with Oklahoma State. I think they'll win the game outright is what I picked them as. Um, I just don't know what we've got with Notre Dame, with the new coaching staff, everything going on there. A lot of these have been weird. These bowl games have been weird with a lot of the COVID stuff and opt-outs and everything else. So I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to roll with Oklahoma State here. The team, I think, is a better team. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State here as well to cover as a two-point underdog. I like them winning outright here. You know, they should have beat Baylor, even though Spencer Sanders turned the ball over four times. I don't expect him to do that again. And that Oklahoma State defense, I think it's going to be too much for Notre Dame to handle. I don't think they've seen a defense like Oklahoma State this year. I agree. I'll go with the Cowboys to cover as a two-point underdog. The granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl game, number 11, Utah taking on number six, Ohio State. Utah's first ever appearance in the Rose Bowl. Ohio State favored uh, by a margin of four and a half in this game. Bo? The way I look at this game, you got one team that loves being there. The other, you know, it, it's disappointing. They, they didn't want to be here. I know it's the Rose Bowl, but uh, Ohio State, when they've lacked motivation, it, it's been obvious at times this year, you know, that Oregon game or when they're just kind of going through the motions of sorts here. I'm, not only am I taking Utah for the upset, I think that they went outright. I, I love the way Utah's played the last few weeks. They're on a roll right now. I've watched Utah a couple of times and I was very impressed. They get the two games against Oregon. I mean, they just, I mean, they just whooped them. I mean, they were just dominant. Um, I see you thinking, and I don't disagree with it. Um, I just think that the Ohio State still has the leftover taste of getting beat by Michigan and getting manhandled in their mouths. And I don't think they have been let down because of that. So, I'm taking Ohio State, but I really like this game. I'll be glued to this game the entire time. I think it's a good game. I'll take Ohio State and what I think is going to be a really close one. How about the uh, Sugar Bowl between number seven Baylor, the Big 12 champions, taking on number eight Ole Miss? And Ole Miss is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Bo, both these teams, this is a huge game for them, huge for Lane Kiffin to get Ole Miss to this point. Huge for Dave Aranda to get to this point with uh, Baylor here. We, we talk a lot about with these non-playoff bowl games of teams not wanting to be there and such. These are these are big games for both these programs here in this Sugar Bowl. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm wondering on, on Old Miss's side and Lane Kiffin, it, um, they have – you mentioned the lack of motivation with Ohio State. We've seen that a couple of times with Ole Miss. And they've also seen that if Ole Miss gets hit in the, hit in the mouth, they may not be as good. Um, I like Dave Aranda. I like what he does. They're going to come out and play some defense there as well. If this game gets into a shootout, I would like Ole Miss. But I think Baylor's defense is good enough to keep him in the game. I'm going to take Baylor here. I'm going to disagree. I'll go with uh, Ole Miss and Elaine Kiffin here. I think that this turns into too much of a shootout for Baylor. Good offense always beats good defense. I'll go with uh, Ole Miss to uh, win this one, cover that one-and-a-half-point margin. The uh, Peach Bowl, number 12, Pitt taking on number 10, Michigan State. Michigan State favored by three. What do we think, Bo? I like Pitt. Um, I like Pitt, but what I don't like is the quarterback opted out. Um, so I'm thinking Michigan State. Um, it, the quarterback got opted out of the game. I did. Kenny Pickett, all, yeah. Yeah, I've been all over. He's going out now. after his fake slide. That's how he goes yeah. out. That's he's going to do, yeah. So I mean, if they had Pickett, I would have definitely have jumped all over Pitt. 
But I'm going to go Michigan State. I think the opt-out's too big. It's obviously Pitt's best player. And this is going to be a, a team that's, I mean, a quarterback who hadn't played all season. And how do you think they're going to play against Michigan State, who's Mel Tucker gets his guys ready. They're going to play good defense, keep it a low-scoring game. They'll win it out. I'll take Michigan State. And uh, we're not going to see in uh, this game either Ken, uh, Kenneth Walker, the uh, star running back from Michigan State. Yeah. I think that Pitt's going to miss Pickett more than Michigan State's going to miss yeah. Walker. Walker, a better player, but when you talk value-wise, uh, you know, running Pitt needs backs him are more. a lot easier to replace a running back than it is a quarterback. Right. I'll go with Michigan State to cover uh, that three point margin and win the game outright. Let's move on to the NFL Chiefs and Bengals, the Chiefs. The hottest team in the NFL right now, favored by five, taking on this Bengals team that's still trying to fight to make the postseason. Bo, really good matchup between two of the best young quarterbacks in the league and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, this the 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 Joe Burrow stand in me wants me to come on and say 525 last week, and they're gonna do it again. I don't like the Bengals offensive line. And Burrow's great, and he had an incredible game last week. I just don't see how the Bengals are going to protect him against the Chiefs defense, which is just getting better and better every week. Um, I I like the Chiefs in this game. I think they'll cover. Um, I would have thought this game would actually would have been about a seven-point spread, seven or eight, actually. Um, I have gone against the Chiefs a couple times this year. I did it last week thinking the backdoor cover, but we – I forgot that Ben Roethlisberger is still Ben Roethlisberger, and he's busy eating – Baconator on the sideline or something. I think it's awful. Um, I just uh, got to figure out. I I want to take Joe Burrow. I want to take the Bengals, but I'm not. I just that offensive line is not ready. The Bengals are a year ahead of schedule. They get a good offensive line. They're going to be great. They've got some skill position guys, but this game is going to be high scoring, both sides. But I expect the Chiefs defense to make a couple plays late. Especially up front. Chiefs look like the most complete team in football right now. And they've been tremendous the last few weeks. What do I always say on these picks, folks? Ride the hot hand. Keep riding the momentum until they prove you otherwise. Chiefs at five. I'll take it. Give me the Chiefs to win and cover. The Cardinals and the Cowboys. Both Cowboys made a statement last week. I know Washington's not that good. But arch rival, Sunday night football, most points tied for the most points ever by any Cowboys team in that first half. Dak, he went through a little slump for a bit. Now he's back on track. Cardinals, they haven't played their best football the last couple of weeks, but we know they're a really good football team. This should be a fun one with Dallas favored by five and a half at home. I like the Cowboys. Um, you know, I have said all season that the Cowboys can beat any team in the league on any given day if they run the ball well. If they run the ball as many times as they throw it. They didn't run the ball as many times last week. They didn't have to because Dak just went off in the quarter. Uh, three or four big plays, and the game was over. Uh, but then the Cowboys did run the ball and run the clock out in the second half. I like the Cowboys. I like them here. I think they'll cover. And I think in the NFC, the Cowboys are the team that nobody wants to face. I think the Packers are the best team, but the Cowboys are the team that really you don't want to play. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I am uh, going to go with uh, Dallas uh, for all the same reasons you just said here. And and on top of that, just the Cardinals, uh, 
what, these guys just aren't the team they once were. And no. we didn't think – I didn't think the Cardinals were going to be that good like they started out this year. They remind me of the Steelers of last year where, you know, were the Steelers a bad team last year? No, but we knew they were playing – that they were going to have come back down to earth. The Cardinals have come back down to earth. I think uh, I like this uh, this Cowboys team – a lot more than I do the Cardinals yeah. right now. If this I game want, was four weeks ago, I would easily take an Arizona, but I can't go against yeah. the way Dallas will, is playing right now. I was watching the Arizona game this past week. They still a stat on there that said um, um, last two seasons, uh, it's been, he's been there two years, right? Yes. So they're like, it's like a ridiculously bad record in November or December and January. Maybe it was November, December. It was November, December. I mean, it was like the schedule like flips to the end of the year, and all of a sudden, those last six games, the Cardinals were something like a like a like a forty win percent, four like a point four zero win percentage, where the rest of the time they're at like an eight hundred win percentage. I, I they just get tired, and I I just don't think Kingsbury know his team. I don't know if they give up on him or what it is. It's maybe it's the lack of planning. People maybe learn what they're doing and. They can't, you know, make the next logical step. Uh, that may be a big part of it, in my view. But uh, I don't think the Cardinals are that great a team. I think they played way above their skis for a while. But you said it real well earlier. I, I like the Cowboys. Yeah. The uh, Rams taking on the Ravens. The uh, Rams favored by three and a half here. Both this uh, this Ravens team, they've gone through a lot of injuries and such, but they've still been fighting. They've been competitive. Yeah, the Ravens, um, John Harbaugh's done a hell of a job. This team has had injuries everywhere. And Martin Jackson carried him for a while, a couple of weeks. We hear he's questionable now. He may play. We don't know if it's maybe, might, won't. We don't really know. Um, I don't like them here. I don't think they're going to win. Um, but I, I got my tip my hat to that team. That team is gritty. They are yes. gritty. They they rolled a bad number last week against the Bengals. I mean, I mean Burrow was just unbelievable. I mean, just it's one of those once in a once every ten year kind of games. You just don't see that very often. They're a lot better than they were last week, but they're not going to win this week. And the Rams are back. They're for real. I like the Rams in the NFC right now, and uh, I like the Rams here. And the Rams are getting Odell on track. Yeah, they're figuring it out. They went through their lull, their slump of sorts, yep. but now they're on the up and up. Cam Akers is on track to be back and such too. Yep. Watch out, the Rams can still win the NFC. The Rams to me are what the the, the Bucks were last year. They yeah. got everybody healthy at the end, and they all came together. Those for the Bucks last year was the last five games. Mm-hmm. For the Rams might be the last four or even three, but. They've been. They've played great the last two weeks. They got two more to go. Um, I suspect the Rams are going to win the West, and that'll give them home field advantage for that first game. I don't know if they'll catch the Packers. They're a game back of the Packers. They'll need some help. Um, but I like the Rams, and I think the NFC is just scary good. Top. Yeah, I, I, I do too. No, no question about it. I'll go with the Rams here as well. Dolphins taking on the Titans. The uh, Titans favored by three and a half here, Bo. The Dolphins have been terrific. The only team in NFL history to have a seven-game losing streak and a seven-game winning streak 
within the same season. The Titans, they've been one of the better teams in the AFC this year, and they're at home. They're favored by three and a half. Bo, um, this is a sneaky good football game here. And, you know, in the Dolphins' case, you know, if you want to pinpoint it to why they've improved, their quarterback, Tua, has come alive. We, we, we were waiting to see when it would happen. If Tua had it in him, we knew he was fighting for his job for next year, and he's answered the call the last several weeks. Uh, he's played well. Or he played better. Let me say it that way. I don't, I don't really know what they got into it. Now, you and I both agreed earlier in the season, we thought the Dolphins had one of the best rosters in the league. Yes. We talked about them and the Colts and a couple others who are kind of in the middle there. Tennessee was one of those I thought was in the same boat. And Tennessee, I think, is a better team right now. I think what hasn't been said in the seven-game win streak for the Dolphins is that wins have come two against the Jets, one against the depleted Saints team last week. That, I mean, I've half the SEC would have beat the Saints last week. Um, the Giants, the Ravens, that was actually – a good win for him, uh, a win against the Texans. So I think that we haven't seen quality wins in that seven. But that doesn't make it, that doesn't minimize they won seven in a row. I do like the Titans here. I like the Titans. I like the, I like five, six, that area. Uh, I just think it's kind of midnight Cinderella for the Dolphins on this one. And uh, I think this is where they end up, you know, with that 500 record and missing the playoffs. And yeah. the Titans are playing for they, – they win, they get the division, and they get that small sliver of an outside chance of a number one seed. So I don't think that the Titans are going to let up. I agree. I agree with you. I'll go with uh, Tennessee to uh, cover that uh, three-and-a-half-point margin here. They're a better team, um, and I, I love their receiving core. I think that they're, you know, their they're offense is going to be too much for Miami to handle here. I, I'll go with uh, Tennessee at three-and-a-half. Broncos and Chargers, Bo, this might be the toughest game for me to pick this week because I think all of us would agree we're all taking the Chargers to win. But the Chargers, one week you lose to Houston, and then like earlier in the year they're beating teams like Kansas City, and then you put a a six-and-a-half-point margin out there. Broncos have done fairly well against the spread this year for the most part. This one's hard for me at at six-and-a-half. Yeah, Broncos keep games close. If nothing else, they keep games close. And this was a team that traded Von Miller in the middle of the season. They obviously didn't think they'd be playing for a potential playoff spot. They really kind of half-ass are, but they're going to need some help to get there. Um, I do like the Broncos here. I think the Broncos are going to win this game, but I'm not 100% certain on it. Um, I'm going to take the Broncos plus the points. And I could see the Broncos winning the game. I can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that. I keep the Chargers are kind of the Chargers came out like a like a cannonball and they've puttered down the stretch as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've been going back and forth. Uh man, this one to me, I could flip a coin and, and uh I'll go with I'll go with the Chargers. Uh, I don't feel I like confident it. Take, at take all. the Chargers so I can catch up one here on Yeah, I mean I'll, I'll help you out a little bit. I'm still up 10 <laughs> games on you. You know, I'll right. you know, throw it's you a bone, get you to I need all the help I can get here, Tyler. Yeah, I'll go with the Chargers here. So those are our picks this week. Uh, our picks against the spread each week here on the Jones Report. Let's go ahead and uh, shift gears, Bo, and uh 
talk about it. John Madden, what a legend uh, John Madden was. And I talked about him at the beginning of the show. I want to give you the floor. And as somebody that has, you know, grown up listening to John Madden and uh, followed his yeah. whole career, you know, as a, as a coach and a broadcaster and everything in between, uh, what does John Madden mean to you personally, Bo? Okay, I was not old. I'm not old enough to remember John Madden as a coach. I, I do know of him being a coach and a great coach, but I did not see him coach. Um, to me, it goes back when I think of Madden, I also think of Pat Summerall. Yeah. Those two voices together, uh, it's like a symphony. Mm-hmm. And in Madden is, you know, to a generation, John Madden is a video game. Yes. It's just simply a guy that named a video game after. Um, I think my generation is the last generation to really remember him in the booth with, you know, with Al Michaels and then before that with Pat Summerall for, uh, for a generation. And he, in many ways, was football. He was the voice of football. Yes. And, and I think he was also really the first uh, analyst that could be goofy, that you can let him. He can misspeak like you and I, we've talked about it on here. We talked about it away from here a lot, how much I dislike Chris Collinsworth and a lot of how he misspeaks about stuff. Yes. We gave Madden a lot of pass on stuff like that because it was entertaining. Like he would misspeak a, a person's name or a position or something. But you and just it was funny. It, it was funny, but at the same time, you knew he really knew his stuff. He knew the game. He was an ambassador for the game and he didn't, it wasn't even like an official. It was just John Madden was the NFL and he was the NFL and the voice of the NFL in the time period where football passed baseball to be the biggest sport in television. I would argue Bo, that there, there is not a single individual that has been a better ambassador for the NFL than John Madden. I said the same thing on Coach Bodo's podcast this week. I even went a step further. I don't know there's been an ambassador for any sport in America as much as John Madden has for the NFL. I mean, here's to give you a little perspective, okay? I mean, I don't know how you feel about Brett Favre. I like Brett. You know, he, he had a great career and such. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like the, the aura of Brett Favre is in large part because of John Madden. I sure. think that we have example. overrated and given Brett as man. Granted, I like him. Don't get me wrong. I think we have overrated and given Brett way too much credit, and that's because of the man crush that John Madden had on him. Yeah. He convinced the world that Brett Favre was the the greatest yeah. man to walk on the face of the earth. Yeah, you thought you thought that it, it was a time where we thought Brett Favre was John Wayne. I mean, yeah. to, to people, I mean, Brett Favre, I can't even do a good Madden. You know, just, Favre. You know, he had that voice and he's just, he had something about him that it was always big if John Madden was there. Whether it's the football game, anything, a commercial, anything, anything that John Madden got a hold of or was a part of was big time. And he was an incredible ambassador to, I mean, he was a spokesperson for many different things, but he was an incredible ambassador to the sport of football. 
to the American culture of football. I mean, he and Pat Summerall, I mean, it was those 49ers and Cowboys teams, the 49 teams of the 80s and then the Cowboys teams of the early 90s. The voice of those is John Madden. And that's the really that's the time in which football became our conscious in, in American sports. And he's a huge reason for that. And that cannot be minimized. I mean, he is a tremendous reason. Um, I was very sad to see that news. And uh, have you seen yet the All Madden, the, uh, the, the thing on, that came on Christmas Day? No, I've been meaning to. I haven't got a chance yet. I will, though. I've only got to watch half of it because we had family over and I was hanging out with my nieces. But it, it started with him as the coach. And he, and he kind of – it was getting to him just starting broadcasting when I turned it off. But he – he was so much larger than life and um, anyone that came into contact with John Madden. I mean, you, you bring up a great example of Brett Favre. I mean, Brett Favre is a, almost a mystical being because of John Madden. I mean, Fox having football. I don't think people understand people who are like your age um, football on Fox was a huge deal when it went over to Fox and how they, that network wasn't considered a big network. It wasn't ABC or CBS or NBC. What they did, the first thing they went and did was get Pat Summerall and John Matt. And when they did that, it made them automatically number one in the broadcast, in, in, in broadcasting football, because mm-hmm. they went and got John Matt. Well, the thing too, um, people like me, you know, in, in my generation, I can say that, you know, I, I never met John Madden, never had a conversation with him, but I learned the, the game from John Madden. Oh, yeah. The guy invented the Telestrator. I don't he know did. how many people yes. realize that. Yeah, he was the first guy to use the Telestrator. I, I mean, I would see that on the bipod. Yeah. It, the, the Madden video game, of course, that's as kids, that's how we learned the game, too. I mean, literally, I can say I, I never met John Madden, but he taught me football. Uh, let me tell you a quick little story. So when I was the head football coach at Veritas Christian School, I had a bunch of kids that didn't know shit about football. I mean, they didn't know anything about football. Yeah. And I was doing, we were doing summer camp, had them all out. And one of my assistant coaches and I were talking and I said, we figure these kids football. I mean, they just, they just don't know the game. Yeah. And we decided to tell them to go home and play math. We said, guys, for these next couple of weeks, we don't have you for three weeks. For these three weeks, how many of you got an Xbox or a PlayStation? They all were there. How many of you got Madden? And almost all of them, I said, play the game. Play the game, but don't just play with the sticks. Learn the offenses. Learn the defenses. Learn what blocking is. You can learn so much about the game from that video game. Yes. And that's because it was really true to real football. Every football game before that was just a guy moving up and down and left and right. But Madden was different. And he was integral in that. He wanted, if you're going to have his name, it had to be different. And it had to be true to the game. And true to the game was who he really is. I Nothing but respect for that man. And, and I, I feel like, in a way, most people who, are, who, who, who listen to John Madden saw him announce games and you saw the all Madden stuff and you played the video game, 
think we all knew John that. Yes. You felt like you knew him. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, he's one of those, it's very rare you find someone that's never met a stranger. He's someone that everyone, if you met him, you'd probably be like, hey, I feel like I've known you all my life. The, the thing, too, with, with John Madden, um, one of the things I brought up after he passed on Twitter was that his whole shtick, or whatever you want to call it, that has not even been close to been replicated. I mean, no. look at the top analysts at all the networks. You mentioned Chris Collinsworth does a whole other thing that's nothing yeah, like John Madden. Yeah. Um, Tony Romo, Tony's great, but he doesn't he's do – he's – he doesn't do it. He's not like now. he's not no. like he's not like John Madden. Different style. Um, you know, I, the closest one, I guess, was when Gruden was an analyst. I was going to say the same thing. It, it was definitely John Gruden. Um, but even then, like you know, Gruden uh, was not. I, I would say that Gruden was more uh, kind to. Uh, the, the the individuals and such go out and he, he didn't like to criticize things. Comparing him to Madden, Madden would more tell you like it is compared to Gruden in the booth. I agree with that, and I do think that the only person that's been close was John Gruden. But it, it's just also a different situation. I mean, he was. I mean, John Gruden could have done that job for the next twenty five years and not been the institution that John Madden is. And that's not a knock on John Gruden. It's a compliment to John Madden. I mean, John Madden made Frank Caliendo the com- the comedian famous. Yes, he's a great he's a great impressionist. But what's the one you, we all know? And the one that when you think of Frank Caliendo, you think, oh, here's a guy you know, and he does this thing here. We all think of John, even if you didn't know who John Madden was. That was funny. And then you figure out who John Madden is. You go, oh, my God, this is hysterical. Um, That's the kind of impact he had. Yeah. And, you know, it's sad when anybody passes, but when someone's lived that full of life, it's not that sad. It's it's, thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for what you've done for all of us. Uh, I definitely agree there. We'll move on. Um, staying in the NFL, uh, we talked about these games earlier, but looking at the playoff picture, we, we've seen some big changes here. I mean, yeah. the Patriots just a couple weeks ago were the one seed. Now they're a wild card. Um, you go to the NFC side, the Cardinals were the one seed, and now they've been on this slump, and it looks like they're not even going to win their division at this point. Um, we're starting to figure out, the, the haves and the have-nots. In your mind, who's the haves and who's the have-nots right now? Um, the haves to me, I mean, I you got to say the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs have got to be the favorite in the AFC by a long shot here. I mean, but there's there's separation between them and right. the rest. Um, I just think the haves, the NFC is loaded with them. Yeah, I agree, both. Yeah, the NFC is loaded with it because you've got the Packers. The Packers are in first place in the conference. They're going to be hard to catch with their schedule. But the Packers, the Rams, the Cowboys, I mean, you can even sneak the Bucks in there. They're going to win their last two. So we're going to have uh, probably four teams with 13 wins in the NFC, 
which we would have never thought earlier this year. Um, I think if I had to pick two or three, though, I would pick the Chiefs, I would pick the Packers, and I'd pick the Rams. Those are the two to three to me that the three that I think are probably the best three. Um, I would probably maybe include Dallas in there. I think on any given day, Dallas can beat anybody. Mm-hmm. I think all those teams on any given day. Um, the team that's the hottest to me are the Chiefs and the Rams. Yeah. If I had to pick two. That'd be, the, that'd be my two I'd pick and say, well, these are the hottest two. Um, you know, we're going to see some more changes. We'll see changes. I mean, we both think the Chiefs are going to beat the Bengals. That's going to put week 17 in, or week 18 into play for the Bengals. They're going to have to win that game to win the division. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a lot's going to happen here. In the AFC, you talk about in the have-nots. You asked about that. Um, you know, we mentioned the Chargers earlier. I think the Chargers are going to drop completely out. They're going to be from early in the season after four games. We thought the Chargers were for real. Yeah. And they're not there now. They're just not. Um, I think the Colts are for real. I love their run game. I love their roster. I don't like the quarterback, but I like the rest of the team. Uh, Carson Wentz did play really well the last two weeks, though. And and I don't know what to think on Buffalo yet. And then the Patriots are now trending down. In the NFC, when you look at the playoffs, and you try to say, well, who are the have-nots? In the AFC, in the NFC, uh, right now you're looking at, you know, right now the Cardinals, the 49ers, and the Eagles, the last three teams in. And I don't think any of those teams have much of a chance, to be honest. I mean, I I, I will say in the Eagles defense, they are all light speed. They, they are light years ahead where I thought they were going to be this season. Yeah, you thought they were tanking. I thought they were, yeah, I thought they were going to tank this season. And they got eight wins. Um, they may make the playoffs. And I didn't look at their schedule. Uh, yeah, they have Washington and Dallas. With a little bit of help, they beat Washington. They're going to have a chance to get in because the bottom of the NFC is bad. Right. I mean, we said we needed 10 wins. You won't in the NFC because you got three, you're going to, you got four teams are going to have 13. Right. So someone's going to get in at a 500 record. That's nuts, isn't it? It is. This is this has been a crazy year. Then all the COVID stuff involved in the meantime. I mean, now we can't even predict what's going to happen, really, because we're going to have teams that get sniped because they get twenty players get COVID. The Saints were signing players on Saturday to play Sunday or play Monday. It's it, this is the craziest year I can remember. It is. It's been highly entertaining. It has. It's been incredible to watch. We'll see what happens. Um, last thing on the NFL, the uh, MVP race. Does it? Do you feel like it's down to Rodgers and Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I think it's a two-man race now. Um, I think there's three or four that are in the pack, the next pack back. You know, that'll be Mahomes. Um, I think Josh Allen's in that pack. I think Burrow's in that pack. I think Dak is in that pack. But I think it's a two-man race between Rodgers and Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think either choice is a good choice. Um, I, I kind of rooted for the running back a little bit. 
I'm a Rodgers guy, but I'm kind of rooting for the running back to win it just to be different. Um, but, yeah, I do think it's a two-man race now. Counts for my playoff uh, semifinals. Uh, we picked them earlier in, uh, in our pick segment. And when you look at these matchups here, Bo, um, I think for Cincinnati, you're going to have to get a game like Alabama had against Auburn for them to have a chance. It depends really what Alabama team shows up. Um, if Cincinnati's going to have any chance in this game, it's it, it's this is more about Alabama than it is Cincinnati. I think. Yeah, I mean Cincinnati will play the best they can play. I think they're going to go out there and play as well as they can. Uh, they have no reason not. To. They're going to leave it out there. What we've seen that Alabama has been that was okay early. I mean, okay to the Alabama level. I mean, they were right. still very good. They have a hiccup against AM. They damn near lose to Auburn. But then they play their best game of the year in the SEC championship against Archer. I don't think they'll play that good. I don't think they'll play. I don't think they'll play as good as they played in that game again in the next two. Okay. I, I, the, the odds of that happening. That was the absolute best that team can possibly play. Mm-hmm. Now they will play well because Nick Saban will will that. I mean, he's yeah, you know, he's like Emperor Palpatine up there. He's going to figure some way to make sure he does his his guys play, um, and they're going to come out like the team of stormtroopers. Um, but I think what's going to what we're going to see, I think we'll see Bama win the game. I think it's closer because I just don't think Bama's going to score as many points as people think. Uh, I think people are overreacting to the SEC championship game. And then they're not giving Cincinnati the respect that we, when we believe. We've been talking about Howie Cincinnati all season. Um, I think it all depends on how – I think you're spot on. I think it's going to depend on how well Bama plays. I think they'll win. I think they, they have the better team. They have the better players. They have the better coach. But on any given day, what can happen? I don't think – they don't see many scenarios where Cincinnati wins the game. If Cincinnati pulls this off – does this change anything? Like, does this change the narrative or how we view these mid-majors, these, you know, group of five schools? I know they're headed to the Big 12 in a couple of years anyway, but what yeah. would a win like this do for Cincinnati and the rest of the group of five? I think it makes the expansion happen faster. And I think it then says what I think would happen is I think that an expansion – would would have would allow for outs on automatic bids to conferences, meaning this: um, the SEC gets a two or three loss team as their champion because they win a SEC championship game after having a bad after being the best in a bad division, maybe. But they're not guaranteed in the playoff because just because they're the SEC champion, or the, not just because of the Big Ten champion. But if there's a Cincinnati who wins their conference, is undefeated, that sort of thing. I think it could limit that. I think it could also draw to quicker expansion. And there's been some talk about expansion of the playoff that's been kind of put in the back burner. A Cincinnati win brings that forward because it says there are more teams like them that deserve a shot. The uh, other matchup, uh, Georgia and uh, Michigan, 
Bo, uh, what do we think about uh, about this game here? Um, I think you said it really well earlier. Both teams want to run the football. Both teams want to play defense. This is going to come down to is Michigan for real? And is Georgia ready to be the heir apparent to Alabama? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kirby Smart, they've been great under Kirby Smart, but they have not gotten over that hump to win it all. And they to do that, they're going to have to beat back-to-back. They're going to have to beat Michigan and Alabama, likely. Um, that says a lot. And, and that's the conversation they should be having. They should be saying, hey, we can do this. We can do it. And if they do it, it's historic to beat those two schools in a playoff. Um, but I think it's necessary. I think this game is more necessary for Georgia than it is for Michigan. Yeah. I think Michigan is a little bit of celebrating that we finally got there. Harbaugh finally got us to the playoff. Yeah, I don't think that he's going to not be prepared because I think Jim Harbaugh's team will be prepared. Uh, I like to think that Georgia's going to have a little better better athletes, and I think that they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So. Yeah. There you have it. Uh, that's our uh, football fix for this week. Bo, uh, before we get out of here, what's uh, coming up on the uh, Coach no, Coach Bodo's podcast uh, over the uh, next couple of episodes? We, we, we could say that Coach Bodo knows shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, uh, so we just recorded uh, Friday's podcast. Uh, Token Girl and I did on the point five. It'll be out Friday. Um, we are, uh, we're going to do an Ask Coach Bo anything. We're talking about John Madden. We're talking about the NFL a little bit. We're doing a little bit of Chiefs talk, a little bit of the NFL. And then we did a little Ask Bo, and I asked Token Girl some questions too. It was us kind of having some fun this week. Uh, we got to do that from time to time. We got some really good stuff came to us. So we asked a lot of those questions. Kind of talked a little sports, a little personal stuff. It was fun. We had a lot of fun recording. It's almost two hours long. It's, it's a little long, but we'll, we'll have some fun with it. And uh, – It'll be good. Uh, we're working on interviews. will be back probably mid-January. We're working on the first few of those. We're going to still do kind of some wrap-up shows on Mondays where I wrap up the weekend in football and kind of give my opinions on some of the things that I've seen over the weekend. Uh, we're going to keep those up for the next couple of weeks as we get into the NFL playoffs um, just to kind of give some, some regular content there and to really – when we do have our guests and we do have our interviews, we'll just be the best we can we can get. And I really don't want to put a lot of filler in those, so we're gonna we're gonna be spreading those out a little bit. Should be a lot of fun, Bo. Appreciate the time as always. We'll catch up with you next week. Enjoy the new year, my friend. Hey, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Tom, and uh, everybody here at the Jones Report. You guys are gonna win the bet and beat us. Looks like so. Uh, congratulations in advance on that, and uh, I'll get you guys next year. What's my prize? Uh, we bet 25 bucks. Oh, I forgot about that, in all honesty. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you 1250. I'll send to some time 1250. Oh, there we go. Nice. Uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll buy me like it. That's like a Jimmy John's. I, I'm going to send you guys gift cards. I'm going to figure out where to. I'll you figure know, out something. So, you, you know, uh, you've met uh, our friend uh, within the network, Dominic Argon, who does the racing show with me. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell this story real quick, then we'll go. Um, we, uh, we, we did a little gift exchange of the, uh, of the racing podcast, guys. 
And uh, Dominic, uh, he got me a uh, for Christmas a Chuck E. Cheese gift card. <laughs> nice. I can't well, he, show up there alone though without looking like a weirdo. Yeah, you, you, do you have any nieces or nephews or anything like that? No, I don't. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you then. Uh, Maybe I'll take P ought- money. I'll take P money to Chuck E. Cheese. I'm not taking Mac. I'm not taking that kid anywhere. Um, <laughs> what you ought to do is you ought to take a date. The Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. Okay. Take a date. That's what I would do. Not on the first date, though. It's even better. Oh, you think? Ooh. I think so. Okay. I'll keep That's that in mind. Okay. What's that? I'll keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. How much is the gift card? 25 bucks. I don't know how much stuff costs at Chuck E. Cheese, but does that buy you a pizza and a couple of drinks? Probably. And then we just go, go play games. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I would do. <laughs> hey, that's $25 for the date night. Hey, yeah, you never know. You might get lucky. I mean, you might win games. <laughs> yeah, right. That that type of luck. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Brian O'Connor, Johnny us here the Jones Report. Couple more things before we wrap up today's show here on the Jones Report, and we'll get to our Tom Fulry story of the week coming up in just a moment. But before we get to that, I do want to talk more on the college football playoff. As you heard our conversation there with Bo on these playoff games, and I got to tell you, you know, looking at these matchups here between uh, Alabama and Cincinnati, and then uh, Georgia and Michigan, I think that. When you look at it for Cincinnati, of their chances in this game, I would be shocked if Luke Fickle does not have this team prepared where they're going to lay everything out on the line. Now, they might lose by two touchdowns or 17 points, but I don't think it's going to be because of a lack of trying, a lack of effort of some sorts. Um, In these college football playoff games, Historically speaking, since this thing began all the way back in, you know, the 2014-15 campaign, um, these college football playoff games, in particular semifinals, have been so lackadaisical where one team just overmatches the other. And it feels like that overmatched team just rolls over like a puppy of some sorts. Um, Cincinnati, I don't get this vibe at all of that they're going to roll over for anybody. Alabama has, in the last five years, brought in a total of 86 four- and five-star recruits. In that stretch, Cincinnati's brought in five four-star recruits. The talent differential is off the charts between these two teams. But um, I don't think that that is going to affect the effort that's there. And so, you know, I'm really getting pissy with this whole idea that Cincinnati is carrying the water for the group of five. And Cincinnati fans, you know, have said it themselves. They're not doing that. That this has nothing to do with, you know, UCF getting left out back in 17 and them claiming to be national champions. And, you know, this whole idea that, you know, their performance here should affect how other group of five teams are viewed. I don't think that's the case at all. I think every year needs to be a case-by-case basis. And this Cincinnati team is a worthy team. And I hate they got stuck with Alabama, but they have, at every test that's stood their way, stood strong. Went toe-to-toe with Georgia 
in the Peach Bowl last year. They beat Notre Dame on the road this year by double digits. They beat Indiana, who wasn't that great, but it was a preseason top 25 team on the road by double digits. The effort will be there. So that alone is worth watching this game. Um, If you're on the fence, because I know it's New Year's Eve and everybody has their celebrations and such, um, stay intrigued with this one. Don't turn it off right away. Give this game a chance because Cincinnati will put the effort out there. Um, I like the quarterback matchup. I like Ritter. I like Bryce Young. Um, You know, Ritter, he's gritty. Um, I'll be intrigued to see what Alabama does shorthanded. One matchup to keep an eye on, too, as far as if Cincinnati's got a chance in this game. With, With Desmond Ritter here and that good Cincinnati offense that could put up points, Alabama's secondary is not that great, at least not to the Alabama standard that we know. Um, If Cincinnati's going to have a chance, they have to attack that secondary and have to be effective that way. So that's what I'm watching for. You know, Alabama is going to, you know, try to be the more physical team. They're going to try to, you know, dominate that way. But for Cincinnati to have a chance offensively, you're going to have to throw the football. You're going to have to throw down the field and expose that Alabama secondary. So that's what I'm watching for in that game. Georgia and Michigan, two very similar teams, love to run the football and play defense. And in Georgia's case, we've talked about this the last couple weeks, and it's worth reiterating, that the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, just because you lost Alabama in the SEC title game doesn't mean it's the end of the world. That losses expose your weaknesses. And we saw that this Georgia defense, or Georgia offense, rather, um, left a lot to be desired. And, you know, I'm not huge on Stetson Bennett. Uh, I think JT Daniels is the better quarterback. Um, Maybe that game opened up some things for JT Daniels here. Maybe we see potentially some more JT Daniels in this game of some sorts. Um, that's what I look at is that Georgia still very well could win this game and still beat Alabama and still win the national title, but they know they have to get better. They looked like a behemoth just a couple weeks ago that they were unbeatable, but now you've seen that they are beatable and it was because of their offense, their defense, one of the greatest defenses we have seen in college football, you know, Did they play their best game against Alabama? Not even close. But I would be shocked if that defense plays like that again in these next two games that are going forward here. Their defense will show up. Can their offense put up enough points? Michigan is going to do everything they can to run the football and take the ball out of Cade McNamara's hands. Um, If you're Georgia, I'd try to force Cade to throw the football. Um, In fact, both these teams try to take away the run game, force the other team to beat you through the air. And if I'm Georgia, if they're able to stop the run, I'm giving JT Daniels a call because I would take him over Stetson Bennett at this point. But that's just me. So anyways, uh, my predictions, 
You heard it in uh, our pigskin pick'em segment. I like Alabama. I like Georgia in these games. I like Alabama to win it all. But there's no outcome that can surprise me here. Um, this is the best playoff semifinals we've had in a couple years. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be intriguing to see how this plays out. Uh, I like these ma- these matchups here. Um, I would I would be surprised if either one of these games is a runaway. Um, because I think they all four belong here. When you've looked at playoff games in the past, like a few years back, um, the playoff was Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma clearly didn't belong in the class of those other three teams. Last year, Alabama was in a class of their own, and Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Clemson didn't belong up there on that same stage as Alabama. Going into this playoff, there's no one here that doesn't belong here. Cincinnati's earned their way here. Michigan has. Georgia has. Alabama has. Um, You know, is there some mismatches? Of course there are. But these guys belong here for this chance, this opportunity. So I think that's what makes this different. Obviously, the Cincinnati aspect of having a non-Power 5 team makes it more interesting, too. But that, to me, is you have quality teams in all four spots of this playoff, despite what the line may say from Vegas, as far as that goes. Uh, Last thing before we go today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. We will head to Northern Ireland for this one. Check this out, folks. A Northern Ireland man's message in a bottle was found nearly 23 years later after traveling only about 18 miles. 44-year-old Stephen uh, Caulfield said he was single and living in uh, Rostraher when he wrote the message reading, I am 21 years old. Please write to me if you are a girl. Thanks. Caulfield said he put the message into a bottle and launched it into the uh, Caulfield Loft in January uh, 5th, 1999. Caulfield said he had forgotten about the message by the time photos of his letters started circulating on social media. His bottle had been found last week on the shore in Dundrum, about 18 miles from where he threw it into the water. Caulfield said he was hoping for the bottle to reach a bit farther, but he doesn't mind that it never landed him a date. He is now married with three children. Caulfield said on Twitter that the response to the bottle's discovery has been overwhelmingly positive and he was glad to be about to give people something different to talk about other than COVID. So how about that? Story uh, has a happy ending. Could you imagine? So 1999 was when this happened. So 22 years ago. I w- I'm, I'm so glad that he did get what he wanted. You know, a lovely wife and kids. Because could you imagine this story? If it would have been about, okay, yeah, this guy launched into the ocean and, you know, wanting this family. And here he is 22 years later and he doesn't have it yet. That's the reality for some folks. They want something. They wait a long time and still don't have it. Can't always get what you want. Um, But that would have been a whole different story. Would have been very sad if that's the case. Instead, this guy's got a nice family. 
So that's good to hear. I'm happy for him that he's uh, got this family that it's worked out uh, 18 miles down the road. You know, I always think about what I would say to my younger self, too. You know, if you could pass those messages along, you know, I, I would definitely tell my younger self to enjoy the moment more. Embrace your journey. Um, you know, to, to pause a second and kind of, you know, enjoy the ride that you're on because it's not going to last forever. And, you know, to see like that, to go the opposite direction, to send a message to the, the future, hoping somebody picks it up of some sorts. What I wonder is... Did somebody pick this up and then throw it back in the ocean or wherever it was? Um, or was it just left this entire time? To me, that's that's what I wonder the mystery here is. Did somebody read it or did no one get a hold of it in that 22-year stretch? Could you imagine? See, now I'm on the whole side of the opposite story here. Could you have imagined... If this guy would have never been married, never had kids, and if no one would have ever opened up this bottle. This has a happy ending because of what he ended up with. But what if that message never got around and he never was with anybody? Um, now, or here's another idea. When you talk about alternate realities, what if his wife did find it and she put it back out there? Uh, she didn't want him to know about it. Maybe that's a possibility here. There's a lot of big rabbit holes that we could go down in regards to this story. Um, you know, everybody deserves to be loved. Everybody deserves to have family, if that's what you want. You know, it's not for everybody. Um, you know, and, and, and you're glad to see that this guy got his way in Northern Ireland, that it, it worked out one way or the other for him. Um, I've never been to Ireland. Uh, I have a friend, uh, Dee Dee, if she's listening. Uh, she was one of my favorite bartenders when I moved to Omaha, Nebraska. And in a speakeasy, I would go to. And uh, now she's living in Ireland. And, you know, now that gives me reason to go, as if being in Ireland wasn't reason enough already, as is. But uh, nonetheless, I would love to go to Ireland. I've actually never been across the pond. I've only, the only other country I've been to is Mexico. So I need to get to Europe. I need to go to Ireland. Maybe uh, maybe I'll leave a note for somebody out there for somebody to find years later down the road. Um, but we'll see. With that being said, funny story. Glad it worked out. Could have been a lot worse than what it was, but ultimately uh, things were A-okay there. A um, couple things. Uh, some housekeeping items of some sorts. Uh, what a week we had in Dallas. Uh, myself, David Starr, Dominic Aragon, Kim Starr, David's wife. We had our Christmas special and had a huge audience for that. We appreciate you guys tuning in, checking that out, and uh, supporting that show as well as the rest of the Studio Soapbox Network. We've certainly been busy over the last few days, but uh, certainly keep tabs on this show out each and every week as well as Let's Go Racing. Studio Soapbox uh, also produces shows like Raw Tools with Luke Slaybaugh. And uh, the Coach Bonos podcast as well. Uh, new episodes out each and every weekday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And uh, make sure to leave us that five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We uh, certainly would appreciate that. You can find me on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live. 
Facebook.com forward slash Studio Soapbox. Also on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Studio underscore Soapbox. And uh, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, uh, and uh, Jones underscore Report. Last show of 2021. It's been an incredible year. Uh, thank you all for supporting this show and the rest of the Studio Soapbox Network. It's been our best year uh, on record by a mile. Um, and it's because of you guys that make this possible. You, the listeners, for checking out this show and our other shows each and every week. We love bringing it to you. It's been a lot of fun. And we'll continue to do so as we go into 2022 and begin the 11th season of the Jones Report. Isn't that crazy to think about? I never thought that uh, about that about 11 years, but here we are. That's we're about to, what we're about to go into uh, beginning next year. Thomas will be back next week, and uh, we'll have a great guest join us as well. So be sure to check that out, and uh, we'll see you next time here on the Jones Report. For Brian O'Connor, Riley Gates, I'm Tyler Jones. Saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next year.